All right, rock stars, before we start this show, I need to give out a fair warning. We have the amazing, powerful Ben Hobbs on the podcast as our lead interview, and we get a little bit salty with the language, so this one is definitely an explicit podcast. We're just drinking beer, talking about everything in triathlon, and he's going minimalist, and it's a really cool conversation, but he's a he's a friend and we're just chilling and talking like talking like dudes and we let a couple of the uh, f-bombs fly and so on and uh, so i'm just giving you a, a heads up a lot of uh, parents allow their kids to listen their, to the show and they should and usually they're pretty clean and uh, but this one we got a little bit of uh, salty language so um, when we get to the ben hobbs interview maybe uh, tell them to cover their ears it's not much. It's just enough where I just want to throw that out there. And then, speaking of salty, this episode is brought to us in part by the amazing Salt Stick. All right, you can hydrate all you want during your training, your racing, throughout the rest of the day to catch up on your fluids. But if your water does not have enough electrolytes in it, it's pretty much useless. It'll just run right through you. you got to make your water stick to you with salt stick check this out athletes that took salt stick finished a half ironman race and an average of 26 minutes faster than the control group in a study research took a bunch of triathletes and gave half of them salt stick capsules and the other half just sports drinks the athletes that took the salt stick capsules finished a 70.3 that's a half ironman race in an average of 26 minutes faster than the control groups. That's because it allows you to stay hydrated. It makes your water stick. You can make your water stick with Salt Stick by getting 25% off your order with discount code ZENTRY25 on the website shopsaltstick.com. Now, that's only in the United States, but you can find Salt Stick in 30 countries via the website saltstick.com and using our store locator available from the top menu. All right, let's go ahead and get started with the show. Here we go. You are listening to Zen and the Art of Triathlon. Well, hey there, all you tri-freaks and geeks, and welcome to another great episode of Zen and the Art of Triathlon, the podcast where we try to find the quality in your training to see if you can be a better and more well-rounded person by using a little bit of Zen mixed in with your endurance. All right, we've got quite a whopper of a show today. Big news is we've got the real Starkey on the show. Ben Hobbs has gone minimalist. He's living in an RV, in a uh, RV park slash trailer park. He kind of calls it a little bit of both. And we're going to talk a lot about how he's trimmed things down and how nice it is to not have tons of overheads. Kind of like small house living, if you've been watching that uh, TV series. And also, I've learned something new about him. My aha moment was when he said that he grew up driving around the country I don't know if he said the entire country. Yeah, anyway, but uh, living in an RV when his uh, when he was a kid, and so he knows what he's doing, 
and he knows how to get it done. So it's actually a pretty cool uh, conversation. Uh, we uh, learn a lot of things. And he's the one behind the uh, Starkey, um, the real Starkey uh, Twitter handle and TRS radio and all kinds of cool stuff. And he and I go a long way back. He came to my house before he started the podcast and we hung out together and I showed him how to uh, record a podcast. And of course he did it completely differently and correctly <laughs> and, and uh, uses a way better audio gear and does the shows like really well. So it's a, uh, it's quite uh, uh, full circle for him to uh, come back on Zentry and for us to talk. He's been on the show too. Uh, I'm trying to remember how long ago, but anyway, and also we talk about this idea of a trailer house triathlon and see if we can get any traction with that and about pro AJ Balco and uh, the Island House Triathlon. We do talk about politics, but this isn't a, a political show. So I'm actually chopping that out. And we're just going to do triathlon stuff on, on this episode. Uh, just for a timestamp, uh, if you're going back in time and listening to the show months, years from now, uh, this is the episode right after Trump won the election over Hillary Clinton. And that's in all the media right now, and you're getting plenty of that as you are, wherever you are. And all it seems to do is make people argue. So we're not going to talk about that on Zen Try. If anything, I'll tell you to look inward and listen to some Zen stuff and uh, try to be, try to stay out of arguments and be a better person by following some Zen principles. Mostly, work on yourself. <laughs> you're not going to change anybody else's opinion about stuff, especially politics, and it just makes you enemies. So uh, instead, uh, don't try to change somebody else. There's plenty of things about yourself that you probably should be working on that aren't quite perfect. So work on those instead. Okay, let's see. Let's do a little bit of triathlon news. Oh, wait. We also have uh, Michael Dirksen who went out and did his swim. Uh, we talked about it on a podcast or two ago, a um, interview with him about what he should do for his first Ironman length swim, a 2.4-mile open water swim. And... Uh, he went and did it, and he comes on the show and talks about it. That'll be after the Starkey interview. And uh, he had a you know big change in how they were going to do it. It went from fresh water to ocean, <laughs> salt water in San Francisco Bay, um, immediately. And how do you uh, train for that? And what do you do when your world gets flipped upside down? And what are the tactics? And what are the uh, what are the Zen? Uh, uh, methods to keep cool and keep calm and 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 deal with change and Dirksen is really clued in and really into this kind of stuff so he is a great interview he and I get along really well so he's a lot of fun and yeah that's our two interviews for the show and probably a little bit of training log at the end but let's uh wait on all that for a second because we got to get to the triathlon news here we go Okay, the biggest stuff in the news is some races that have been rebranded. There's a whole lot about uh, Rev3. Some races of theirs have been changed. And um, I think uh, Ironman North Carolina, uh, they've gotten rid of the full Ironman, and now it's a 70.3. There's conspiracy theories abound about why that's going on. Uh, you can go to Slow Twitch and get all the conspiracy theories that you want over there. And we also have, I've got the presser here about Ironman 70.3 Gulf Coast. The race previously known as the Gulf Coast Triathlon in Panama, Florida, 
will keep Panama Beach. Is that how we say it? Panama City Beach. Uh, the Gulf Coast Triathlon will keep its historic roots and take place on Saturday, May 13th, 2017. Joining the historic Ironman Florida Triathlon on one of the world's most beautiful beaches in Panama City Beach. The inaugural, uh, when I was a kid, we used to go to Sanibel Island when we lived in Alabama. You'd go head, head uh, due south and go to Sanibel Island. It was awesome. Same area, I think. And I was a little kid, man. I don't know. But the uh, inaugural Ironman 7.3 Gulf Coast race will take place Saturday, May 13th, 2017, with general registration opening uh, yesterday or the day before. It's November 9th. So go check that out. Um, Wildflower is gone, and that sucks. The greatest race in all of triathlon was this thing, and I happened to have been really lucky, and I got to go when it was at its biggest. Either it was 2006 or 2007 when there was 7,500 people doing this race. And it was um, a half Ironman distance one day, and then an Olympic the next, and... That was uh, really, really cool. I don't know if y'all can hear. My dog is downstairs <laughs> barking at a neighborhood dog. Hold on. Hey. 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 No. That dog doesn't want to hear that. Can you chill? You want to come up here? Come on. This is Kona. Come on, Kona. If you're new to the show, I'm a dog person and a cat person. And over the... 10-something years or more that we've been doing this podcast. We've had many dogs come through here. Kona's the... Actually, we got Zoe downstairs. She's the latest, which actually I'm going to talk about in a minute. All right, chill, dude. We're reading triathlon news for the people. They don't want to hear all this. So then... Uh... All right, are we back? Oh, my gosh. Now Zentri Nurse, the beautiful and incredible Zentri Nurse, Emily, uh, my endurance athlete wife, just called. Had to uh, work with her for a second on the phone, scheduling dinner. All right, we're back. So we have, uh, yeah, Wildflower. I did the half Ironman, and I didn't know triathlons were that hard. <laughs> I think that thing is insane. And it was amazing, and the lake was nice and full. And uh, the next day, we sat out in front of an RV, in front of our RV, and yelled at people with a megaphone to go harder and faster on their Olympic, and they would say, you come here and do this. And we said, we did. We did twice what you did yesterday. And they would uh, go, oh, crap. And it was a lot of fun. Believe me, it was so much fun. It was really rad. And, gosh, I think that's when I was, uh, yeah, I'd only been doing the Zentri podcast for a few years. And, oh, I'm going to miss that race. But there's a chance it's not actually gone forever. It's uh, it's a big race production company. I think they do one of the Alcatraz races and a whole bunch of other races. And really, the only problem is the lake's dried up. So uh, if we get some luck and the lake fills back up due to uh, some change in the weather, then uh, we might have that race come back. That was the hope by the interviews with the race director themselves. There's a lot of history about Wildflower. It goes way, 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 way back. When I did it, I was shocked to learn that there actually is a naked uh, aid station out in the woods. <laughs> you come up on it, I was like, oh, look at that. That girl has no uh, top on or bottoms. And then I'm like, that's pretty cool. And then I turn and then I'm like, oh, that dude has no bottoms on. Ew, gross. Like that. That was my reaction. And then I go, well, got to go like that and ran through <laughs> And uh, I remember running off going, what did, What just happened? What did I just see? Boy, this thing is nuts. I love this. Kona. All right. We needed to change locations because 
my big black lab started barking and it is really insane when he starts doing that because then the other dog starts barking and he was barking because Emily was coming home with groceries and we got into a whole bunch of evening chores and that is the life of the age grouper endurance athlete. So we needed to move locations and time shift a little bit here and the sound quality is better here. Anyway, so let's keep going with the news. Let's see, Wildflower is gone. That's that's uh, really sad. Maybe we'll see um, uh, the lake fill back up and the race director bring the race back. They're in charge of a whole bunch of other races. So Wildflower is the one that's been one of the oldest and considered probably the biggest and best Ironman out there. Well, not Ironman. Sorry, it's not an Ironman brand, first off. And second off, it's a half Ironman. And it is uh, a really, really cool race. So I'm sad to see it go. I was lucky and got to go... um, in one of the peak years, I was there either 2006 or 2007, which was the biggest year that uh, they had 7,500 athletes, half Ironman distance one day and Olympic distance the next. It was pretty crazy. And we'll keep our eyes open to see if that one comes back. Uh, Mary Beth Ellis retired as a pro triathlete and then turned around and ran in a Spartan race, which is kind of an obstacle course mud thing. And uh, they're I've never done one, so I'm not an expert on everything it contains, although they are on TV, and you kind of get an idea. There's like spear throwing and rope climbs and all kinds of crazy things, and uh, what's nice is it seems to be kind of standardized, so you can do it and compete. You can actually train for it and uh, compete um, against other people, different races, and they have a championship, and uh, Mary Beth Ellis got second. <laughs> so there seems to be a life for pro triathletes outside or after they do um, Ironmans and uh, you build up all this endurance and then get kind of burned out or want to retire and move on to something else. Spartan races seem to be something to check out because our buddy John Hirsch, pro triathlete, uh, got top master's mail at the World Championships in Tahoe um, a while back and then also fourth overall at World Championships. And I think that's most of that news. Um, personal stuff, I've been using a wobble board at work. You can check that out at a standing desk. And that's, um, it makes the day fly by to try to keep your balance a little bit. It works your calves. And a standing desk, good recommendation is Ikea has uh, what I found to be the best standing desk because it's electric and you can move it up or down and adjust the height as needed, which is really cool with a wobble board. Because you get on the board, you want to raise the desk a little bit. You get off the board, you want to lower the desk a little bit. And you want to sit down because you're tired of standing. You just hit this button. It's like it's like an operating table. It goes, and it lowers. Like hydraulic jacks. It's They're a little electric motors. And let's see. Brad Williams sold us his old Microsoft Surface, the pro triathlete that's been on this podcast. Thank you so much, man. Brad Williams is... Uh, a really cool guy. And now we, Kai and I, my 12-year-old son, are both on Zwift, the uh, video game uh, for riding your bikes on the trainer. <laughs> and uh, we raced each other. Uh, it's multiplayer around the world all the time. That's pretty cool. And um, that's a lot of fun. And so thank you. And let's see, we got a Garmin shock collar for Zoe. And it's also, actually, she doesn't respond to the shock anywhere near as much as she responds to a beep. And Zoe's our uh, one-year-old dog that's a mess, and she needs it. And so we beep her to uh, control her behavior. That's a lot of fun. And it's made the made her happier 
everybody happier because she's uh, behaving better, so she's not getting scolded all the time. And let's see, we wanted to talk about chronic training load and TSS for volume after our Dirksen interview. I won't go into that a lot now, but you can graph your training load, your chronic training load, and each workout adds to it with a score that's called TSS. And there's um, lots of this stuff online, and it's the way that I coach. I love to coach by this method and because you can graph out your progress and make sure you're not doing too much and slowly and slowly add on. It's pretty cool. And uh, some of my favorite things lately is I'm right now listening to the Ritual Podcast with Chris Hoth, I think is how you, Hoth is how you say his name. And this guy, Chris, is right up my alley. I love the way he coaches. He's uh, verbalizing everything that I believe in. So go check that out. And also, um, Ritual looks like Ritual might be signing up to do a uh, to do a, uh, some sort of endurance event. And the part I'm listening to right now is he's kind of he's saying, "Well, it's really tough, you know, because you sign up for something, you want to be at the front, and it's you want to win or be towards the front, uh, not kind of in the middle." And my advice on that. Is oh so, um, but to but he doesn't want to sink that you know just massive amounts of training into something, and uh, and not be in the front. But he also doesn't have time to sink in massive amounts of training and only finish towards the back or not do very well. So my advice on that, not necessarily a rich role, but to everybody, is um, you can either sign up for races to do really well in, or you can sign up for something that's challenging enough. Where finishing, just finishing is amazing, right? So for a lot of people in Ironman, just finishing is amazing because you're an Ironman if you finish one. Um, when I did uh, my self-supported Ultraman, it was I knew it was so hard going into it was so hard that I never even looked up what the fastest times are because I know that it was going to be difficult enough for me just to finish. Right, so I don't care if I'm middle of the pack, back of the pack, or whatever. Um, I, I, uh, I still don't know how my times compare versus everybody else because I don't care because my goal was to just finish this thing. So if you're worried about whether or not you're going to be able to just finish, and uh, then you're not worried about if you're middle of the pack or front of the pack or whatever, it's just exciting to be out there all day. So, like say in Rich's example, I know he's um, never. I think he's never done an ultra marathon. Like say a 50 mile trail run or a 100 mile trail run, um, you don't want to do a 100 mile until you've done some 50. So I'd say you know, like in Rich's example, I'm not telling Rich what to do. I'm saying if you're kind of in the same boat, um, you a uh, 50 mile trail run uh, would be a really good challenge, and they are difficult, really, really difficult, and just finishing is huge, and so. Uh, you pick a what you think is a challenging 50-mile trail run and then just try to finish. And it'll be there next year for you to try to improve your time on. And uh, then you're not worried about um, back of the pack or middle of the pack or front of the pack, that kind of stuff. And let's see, a couple of Zen books, Zen Habits and Zen to Done by Leo Babauta. B-A-B-A-U-T-A. Leo Babauta are some really good audiobooks I've been listening to uh, to kind of check out from all the election arguing and stuff that uh, is not a good use of your time so back to zen when um, when you need to focus in on things pretty nice and there's a good bike trainer video out there um, the Columbia Gorge 
is uh, there's a bike packing video. And uh, that was pretty nice sitting on the trainer and watching that. All right. I am going to kick off our interview here with uh, Mr. Starkey. And then we'll do uh, Dirksen and then wrap it up at the end with a little bit of news about what's coming on the next show. So stay tuned. Here we go with Ben Hobbs, Going Minimalist. Welcome to the next level. My man. Hey, hey, what's up? Can you hear me okay? Yeah. All right. Oh, look. Yeah. You are in an RV. Oh, dude, do you think this is a, a joke? <laughs> yeah. This is real life. This is real life, Brett Langer. Are you enjoying it? Oh, dude, I love it. I, it's kind of... Uh, I have a friend that has a really kick-ass RV. Yeah. And it's super cool, actually. It's got massage chairs in it and stuff like that. Massage chairs? I don't yeah. have that. But... Now, uh, it's pretty pimped out. I didn't buy like a uh, crappy RV. I figured if I'm going to live in a tiny space, I want to love every inch of it. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's I, I splurged and got you know a brand new Airstream. Yeah. But it's still <clears throat> such a cost savings versus if I were to be renting an apartment or the ludicrous 3,500 square foot house I lived in before. You know, yeah. it's all such a savings. Yeah. By the way, Brett, am I like the real guest for you this week, or is this a uh, just some bullshit intro. What, what, what are we doing here? <laughs> you are the you are the leading guest. I'm going to do two of y'all this time around. I I have to headline. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I need to demand that I'm a headliner. Who am I? Who who's the other guest? Michael Dirksen. Never heard of him. Terrible guest. Yeah, terrible. <laughs> so now, when I was uh, taking a tech writing class, we had to write a manual on something, right? Yeah, and uh, this one person uh, wrote a manual on how to not how to live on, but how to protect your mobile home from fire. <laughs> and okay. but it's better than that. Actually, he got in trouble because he plagiarized uh, how to take care of your mobile home in case of a fire or something like that, maybe tornado or whatever. Because mm-hmm. he said he wrote it as how to uh he converted it into how to take care of your houseboat which is basically a floating rv in a marina right for sure yeah almost all of the electronics and gadgets are marina or aircraft right and i'm based. thinking why are you up in the dallas area yeah <clears throat> right between dallas and fort worth right now yeah see dallas doesn't have now see if you moved to to um miami panama you know, one of these coastal cities, uh, San Diego, San Francisco, you could have gotten a boat, a houseboat, and then lived on that. Yes, that's size. true, Brett. That's yeah. true. Why are you second-guessing my decisions, Brett? <laughs> because then, because I, I want, I'm living vicariously through you. I want you to be able to take your house out into the water and then go swim anytime <laughs> you want and have a hell of a freaking party. Well, Brett, I can still take my house into the water. How come I mean, I I, it's, it's going to be getting it out of the water is the problem. <laughs> You could put pontoons under it. But there's nothing stopping me from taking it in the water. That's true. So is it is it a motor coach or is it attached to a vehicle to get it to move? Yeah, it's a travel trailer. So, yeah, I've got a Ford truck that I pull it with. Uh, mm-hmm. Big shout out to Ford. Uh, they sponsored me with an amazing $500 off discount. Uh, so I have to, have to tweet about them uh, 10 times in the next six months. Yeah, yeah. 
That's what it's, that's what the pro sponsorship's all about. <laughs> uh, speaking of that, I got question. I got a question for you about the trailer house try. What do you think, brother? Yeah, well, can we, wait. One can thing, we pull I this can't off? see you anymore. I can't see your body language. I can't tell how serious we are with some of this. Oh, do you want me I, to? Uh, there you are. You're there. back. Okay. okay. So there we go. Look at us. Good. I like your choice of glasses. You look skinnier, man. Oh, dude, I don't know about that. I, I will say one thing. After that photo of me running alongside Ferdino and Keenley with my shirt off, which was very funny, and I have laughed about this many, many times, it was also maybe rock bottom in terms of uh, my physical fitness and just looking at myself like, God, what have I become? Am I the Chris Farley of triathlon? Am I... <laughs> Am I fucking John Candy? What is going on here? I mean, this is no way to live. So I've actually, since I got back from Kona, man, I have been doing nothing but eating salads and yeah. green smoothies and I've exercised like all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm on Strava. I'm talking shit to my friends and it's uh, been good. When you it's said that maybe that uh, we, we could actually do the interview today because um, you had your schedule open up, but still... Uh, you do have to wait a little bit because you're going to go for a run. I, did, I didn't know what to make of that. I was just like, what the fuck, really? Are you really going to go for a run? I and did. I'm proud of you, man. That's kick-ass, dude. I'm, you've done I'm it. getting I, after it, Brett. I'm getting after it. You've done a full Ironman before, right? So uh, you know. Yeah, I'm two for three when it comes to the Ironman. Oh, yeah? Which mm-hmm. two did you do? Uh, well, I completed Wisconsin and Louisville, and I DNF Texas. Yeah, DNF is a mother. Uh, Texas is a motherfucker. That's not. Oh, dude, it was awful. Um, Okay, so the trailer house try. I got a question for you. Is it true that the island house try is really an excuse for really rich people to laugh at poor people (laughs) scrambling around an island like rats looking for bread on a sinking ship? You know, I was thinking about this. This Mark Holowesco fellow. First of all. If you read about him or know anything about him at all, he's been very good to triathletes for a long time. I think he spent some time at Boulder. And I heard that for years he would actually fly some people to the Caribbean and take care of them and put them up. And I think he just kind of throws a few people that he's friendly with some money, which is great. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's not a lot of the money in the sport, so kudos to him. And he's worth like hundreds of millions of dollars. He yeah. runs, I like, think, Templeton Investment Funds or a huge head fund and mutual fund company. So more money than he probably even could spend in 35 lifetimes. He's looking for places. It's Brewster's Millions. Yeah, it's like, you know, what would you and I do if we had fuck you money? I mean, yeah. I don't know what. I, it's just, <laughs> it's such an obscene amount of money. So here he is throwing around, what was it, a half a million bucks um, in prize money mm-hmm. in this island? And basically... I don't know how the math could possibly work out so that it could actually give him a return on his investment. The Island House itself is only 40 rooms. Um, I can't imagine he's going to increase sales a half a million per year based on that triathlon. And I'm sure in addition to the expense of the prize money, he's paying for television production. He's paying uh, all these television stations to run it. So it's probably just like a fun little vanity project for him so i mean you have how, to t- tip your cap to the guy i, I dig it, the project how is it a tax write-off is the question i don't how can know you make it a tax write-off 
I know I have no idea, Brad. I'm not an accountant. Uh, I'm an unemployed podcaster. But uh, <laughs> you should talk to your That's accountant redundant. about that. And yep. also, by the way, he's not an American. He's in uh, the Caribbean, which they've got all those tax shelters anyway. So I don't even know that it could possibly be a tax write-off for him. Hmm. I'm getting okay. another beer, by the way. Excuse okay. me. I'm parched. That's a long walk to your refrigerator from your recording studio. You know, the longest walk <laughs> I have is is 20 feet. My uh, trailer right now is the dirtiest it's ever been. Mm-hmm. When I hang up with you, I can have it completely spotless in 20 minutes. Um, so are you living in an uh, RV park, and how are your neighbors? Uh, neighbors are great. Lots of uh, older folks, retired people, um, a lot of very expensive coaches. You know, some of these motor coaches are like millions of dollars. Uh, oh, you're a, in a an million RV plus. park, which is totally different than a trailer park. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm not. In, yeah, I'm not. In, this is not Eminem and Eight Mile here. This yeah. is uh, this is a very nice. Uh, this is a very nice six hundred dollar a month. Um, you know, it's it's a nice place. Yeah, it's a okay. very nice place. Okay. Yeah. I was going, but you still have you learned to start paying attention to tornado warnings more than ever before. No, I haven't thought about it. and I probably should because that's the one thing that could really get me in this RV, isn't it? Yeah. So in a trailer, I know this from experience, Yes, unfortunately, you have to tie a trailer down. Um, there's, they do an inspection if you, if you start living in a trailer. And they, they drill into the ground around the trailer and do tie downs. So if the winds pick up, the wind can't pick up the, um, your house and take it away. I promise you this: no one in this RV park is tying down their their trailer. Yeah, so we're all we're all goners. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, someone has taken a trailer house try on Twitter as a handle. I Damn noticed. It. Is that you, Brett? No, it's not. Who the fuck would steal my idea and uh, Twitter handle? Are they going to try to sell me this uh, Twitter handle now? Now you need the real trailer house try. <laughs> <laughs> God. What a jerk. Okay, so are we going to do a trailer house try? I really think it would be fun, in particular because, you know, we no longer have Wildflower. Mm-hmm. Wildflower appeared to be this great event, which also celebrated RV culture. Now, I don't know about you, Brett, but I grew up without a lot of money. My dad was a teacher. My mom stayed home. There's four kids. So not a lot of extra money for frivolous things. Mm-hmm. And my dad would teach drivers training in the summer for extra money because really had to keep paying bills. So we would go to these little towns on Lake Huron, one of them in particular called Caseville. And my dad would teach drivers training all summer. And we would park our travel trailer uh, on Lake Huron in a state park and basically live in the trailer all summer long. And we explored all of Michigan and northern Michigan in the summertime, which is amazing. And so I totally dig RV culture. Um, I really do. And I feel like for working class, blue collar people, it's an inexpensive way to get out and see America. Um, (laughs) So I I totally dig it. And, you know, while I love Island House Try, uh, we're all totally jealous that we can't go. Um, But, you know, wouldn't it be great if there was another triathlon where it was inexpensive Low budget, no frills, kind of a throwback to the way things used to be. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, we just need to find somebody not with an island, but somebody with a bunch of land who will let us just park a shit ton of RVs on it. <laughs> so, unfortunately, uh, we have my family 
east of Dallas has a hundred acres, but there's no, yes. there is no, well, there is a lake nearby and they do a triathlon there. Well, we need to do a, the swim in an above ground pool. To make it authentic, not just in some shitty Texas lake. <laughs> it's got to be a, an above ground pool. You know, what about a, what about a cattle tank? With a, you know, with a, <laughs> the cattle, the cows just wade into. I don't know what that is. Um, a tank in Texas, I've learned many years ago, is a pond. Uh. It's a pond. And so they call it a tank. I don't know why. Okay. Nowhere near as fun as an M1 Abrams. But, okay, so you know, for all these years, I've done a self-supported triathlon, right? Uh, yes, Ironman, baby Ultraman. iron ultra baby. Is that yeah, what you call it? I've done, even gone all the way up to an Ultraman. So I am really uh, experienced in planning out how to do a small because we always had people come do it with me yeah and so how to plan out a small triathlon you're talking uh three to 20 people something like that no but i want this to be maybe a hundred thousand people i want this to be like woodstock <laughs> i want this to be the wildflower topped out at seven thousand so i don't know if you're gonna get to a hundred thousand i want a hundred thousand brad a hundred thousand people this is gonna be the woodstock of triathlon now it's gonna be amazing there's gonna be no real money exchange it's gonna be sort of like burning man meets uh barishnikov costumes uh well i guess they kind of have that at burning man anyway but it's gonna be epic um supermodels and I would love your underfed wandering around in the sand do they um i don't know about that i don't know any supermodels brad if you know some supermodels in college station please you know <laughs> you can invite them it's it's unbelievable we're swimming in them yeah they're everywhere but now another way to get a hundred thousand people is to franchise it and what whenever i do one of mine i people get uh inspired and do their own wherever they live because they can't come do the one right because they live in michigan mm-hmm. right they live in new york mm-hmm. And they're like, hey, I went out and I'm going to go do uh, my own, same time that you're doing yours or maybe the weekend before or weekend after. And they call it an Iron Baby or an Ultra Baby or whatever they're doing. And so you could have trailer house tries all over the United States all at the same time. Now, do they have to pay you a tax on this, Brett, when they use Ultra Baby? I wouldn't make them do that, but you could. (laughs) (laughs) Will you be showing – will you show up, Brett, and be – I want you to do not a breakfast with Bob, but it'll be federally subsidized breakfast with Brett. Uh, yes, with lots of government cheese. If if you have this uh, trailer house try somewhere near us, I'll probably yes. I'll probably show up. I would love to be there. Be really I would cool. love for you to do federally subsidized breakfast with Brett because I won't be able to. I'll be race directing Brett. I won't have time to interview people. Are you going to race though? I, uh, I don't. I don't know. I mean, Luke McKenzie didn't race the Island House try, so I don't know. It depends. You can. There's a totally hundred thousand people depending on me to give them a great experience. I'll mm-hmm. probably just do that. No, I think this sounds like an excuse not to race. I think you need to race. I'm racing, dude. I'm signing up for a fall uh, Ironman. I just can't decide between Louisville or Montreblant. That's a year just from now, though. So you decide. Yeah, I probably could the, need. I probably need a year, Brett. But uh, in the spring, just, you could do a half Ironman uh, trailer house try, set it up, and go do it, and be a race director at the same time. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And it's cool because I've got Tony Prazak who's going to coach me. <laughs> um, really? Yep. Are you yep. freaking serious? 
Well, mostly I'm just going to argue with her and yeah. tell her she's wrong about everything. But still, we're going to record oh, you're it. Gonna it's gonna do the, good Brett, fun. the Brett method. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You. I'm just busting your chops. <laughs> oh man. So, Brett, I listen. I mean, I think about you all the time. You really got me started in podcasting. Oh, you yeah. sat me down in your home. You and showed me how to you, use audacity. I you told showed you me not how to, to get a shit. Yeah. You told me how to edit. You got me. Uh, you got me. You got me competent enough to at least put one episode out there. So is this all my fault? Uh, then, of course, my amazing talent took over, and uh, it just went next level. But you got me started, Brett, and I will always be grateful to you and to myself for all of my talent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. I I feel. Uh... Why aren't you? Uh, why haven't you joined our age group team? I, I figured you would join the Baco squad. Uh, I was on the Baco is, squad last year. You were, mm-hmm. and this year, I've got plantar fasciitis in my feet so bad. I I don't want to oh. sign up for any races right. until it heals up. Um. Yeah, that's a that's a bitch. That plantar fasciitis. Are you running on your toes like all the British triathletes, Brownleys, and uh, so that, and so? Is that what you think causes it? Or I, I don't it? know. But I I just interviewed. Um, Oh, God, I'm drawing a total blank on her name right now. Here, walk with me while we talk. I'm going to go get a beer. Okay. But it's going to take me a while because of my massive house. <laughs> Braggard. <laughs> Humble brag. <laughs> Hold on, let me go downstairs. What, are you like carrying your laptop? Bro? Yeah. Here, walk with me. Don't get distracted. You're a pro podcaster. You need to keep talking. We, don't, we can't have dead air. You can edit this out. No. Keep going. Uh, did you move, Brett, by the way? Uh, yeah, we moved to a different house, same neighborhood. Hmm. And are you ready to go full-time with podcasting yet? No, I never was. <laughs> well, I kind of was at one point. But yeah. um, managed to figure out how to balance the job and the podcasting to a point where it was pretty doing pretty good. So, mm. uh, are you uh, settled now, Brett? <laughs> well, hold on. I'm going back upstairs. So, where do you, you always brought? do this on your podcast? You like drink smoothies and eat bananas. You're chewing while you're recording. Oh, That's what I'm I love so about healthy, your show. It makes people sick. Have you ever taken a dump while you're recording, Brett? I mean, I feel like that's the one thing you haven't done on your show yet. Why don't you take it next level? Uh, I've peed you talk while ab- recording. You have not. Yeah. <laughs> I was recording while running one time, and actually many times I've peed while, uh, oh, shit, I forgot my bottle opener. You took a leak. God damn it. That's what you need to do, Brett. You need to take a dump. Listen, you talk about I, everything. I probably have and just didn't Nutrition, say Nutrition, you talk you've talked about bowel movements a million times, I'm sure. Uh, obviously with me again while we go do this again. You can walk You're going to walk back downstairs. <laughs> yeah. You're a maniac, Brett. Oh, I'm not editing this out. Why are you stopping talking? Hey, I'm the guest. Yeah. You're supposed to I know you were in the middle of telling me something, but me walking around has totally thrown you off. Oh, yeah. So I was telling you about Vicki Holland. She took uh, bronze in the women's triathlon in the Olympics in Rio. Uh And one of the topics I didn't get to with her is that, you know, she 
tends to land on her toe. So does non-Stanford. So do the oh. Brownleys. And they seem to have all had plantar fasciitis at a certain point. I, just, I don't I, I don't know whether British triathlon like encourages them to run like that or whether that type of – just is random that they all happen to do that. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't get to it. It's kind of like, uh, Mom, will we always have plantar fasciitis? That is an excellent British accent, Brad. <laughs> Mom, don't make me clean the chimney again. Will we always be poor? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, here, Jody Swallow couldn't leave uh, England because, or, God, where was she trying to go to her wedding? Really? Uh, because her passport was missing a blank page. Oh, no. Speaking of Brits, Brits in the United Kingdom. Yeah, I, I, I spoke with her briefly. And uh, yeah, she said she was getting married December second. It's coming right up. That's right to Jane's Kanamanamana. Yeah, Manamana. What are you going to send them for a gift, Brett? Um, uh, nothing. Come on. I tell you though, she was one of the craziest interviews I've ever done. Like intensity, oh, this, intensity. Oh, was. way to way to brag that you've interviewed her and I haven't, Brett. Great. <laughs> Very cool. All right, that's oh, what we're going to okay. do. We're going to start name dropping who we've interviewed. Oh, all right. Big pissing contest. I see how it is. I've interviewed a donkey. Did you really interview Swallow? That's cool. I mean, yeah, she doesn't like me. Although she was friendly the last time we bumped into each other. But, uh, yeah. Um, now, her mindset is uh, just nuts. Like, um, that hyper competitive, totally. Um, I wouldn't call it brainwashed, like convinced that she can win and just go all out. Mm-hmm. And um, every once in a while, you run into one of those triathletes, those pros that are like that. The Michael Jordan kind of crazy, like uh, in a good way, like so convinced that they that they can win. Yeah. I am convinced that you need to be on the Baco squad again, Brett. Uh, oh, that's we, what we were talking about. We, we combined a TRS racing and the Baco squad. We've got about 200 people now nationwide. Yeah. I think there's going to be an opportunity. I think we Can I be a coach got, and injure people? Can you be a what? Uh, can I be a coach so I can injure people with well, my training? I don't know that we're going to have like an official coach where everyone has to be coached by you, but uh, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> everyone. <laughs> Hey, by the way, everybody, you're going to be coached by this guy. Everyone will be coached injured, by Brett. That injured himself because he coaches yeah. so well. So uh, I, I think you need to just, you know, get it together, Brett, and join the Baco squad. We're going to have a great crew. We're going to have 200 people around the country. We're going to have an amazing time, tons of uh, team events. Mm-hmm. We're, we're 10% of the budget we take in from dues which is very inexpensive, by the way. Like, Wait, am I going to have to pay dues, though? Uh, you're a celebrity. I'm sure AJ can work something out with you. Okay. You're a huge celebrity, Brett, so probably... I'm like a would C-list, be, C-minus celebrity. Be an in honor. The, in the world of did it, Did AJ make you pay last year? Um, I'm not <laughs> sure if I had to, but I wanted to. I wanted to support him. I joined the oh. team and then didn't wear... I got the kit and you know, all the stuff. I paid two hundred and something, three hundred bucks, right? Yeah. And then I, uh, I didn't, I didn't wear the kit during the race. The kit was actually too small for me, and I didn't send it. I didn't send it back because I was, I didn't want to bother with it because I just wanted to send, I just wanted to support AJ. 
What size is it? Um, probably a large or a medium large or something. I don't know. Medium. It's a cool looking kit from from last year. So, well, if any of your listeners are interested, Brett, mm-hmm. in joining either squad, they can email me Ben at trstriathlon.com. If they put Brett in the subject, yeah, or Zen try, then the it'll te- come up immediately right into the te- trash can. Technically, the deadline <laughs> expired, but for your listeners, I would yeah. potentially consider opening it back up again. So, what about, I like your audience. Well, they're they're pretty mellow people. But I got a question for you: What's going on with the um, the website and the podcast? You had a really interesting rant on your uh, last show. Did we lose you? Hold on. Yes, Brett. There you are. Okay. Here I am. Lost you there for a minute. All right. Sorry. Was there a, sorry. Wind, was there a windstorm or some rain and it knocked out your satellite? Uh, no, I have amazing internet. internet here. I have Time Warner high-speed internet and it surely wasn't me. It was probably you in College <laughs> Station. You think so? Yes, I'm 100% <laughs> sure. Don't try to blame me for this. You were asking me about my rant that went on on my last podcast. I don't remember which one that was. Was I ranting about... uh, Um, You were talking with maybe Webster, but or Dark Mart. What's going on? All right. I don't know what's going on. Me neither. Yeah. College Station is actually on the fiber optic uh, backbone because it's a railroad line runs through town. (laughs) And one of really? the major internet backbones in the world runs through College Station in Bryan, Texas, through, through uh, Texas A&M University. And we're, it actually runs in the rail, railroad line right away. And downtown oh. Bryan actually taps into it. Okay. Yeah. Well, you were asking me about what's going on with the, uh, the website. And I was saying, you know. You I said you I, wanted to focus on doing the podcast. Yeah. And let the forum thing uh, be taken care of by Webster, which I agree with. Yep. Mm-hmm. I used to run a um, a website, me and another guy, called TriScoop, mm. which was a ton of fun, and we didn't let any assholes on there, and uh, anybody that got too serious. How was know? it fun then? Uh, <laughs> anybody that got too serious and said that that uh, you know you guys aren't doing it right or whatever, we <laughs> la- we we made fun of them until they left. Yeah. And then also, this was right before Twitter, uh, we had a shout box. It was a kind of a web 2.0 kind of little box on the right. And you could random, you could just type things and put it in there and call out people and whatever. It was really cool. But then when Twitter came along, people kind of took to Twitter more mm-hmm. than that. And then that died off. And we had a thread on there called Hot Athletic Chicks. And <laughs> that thing... Just was it was so popular, man. It was awesome, and I would have to go in there every once in a while and clean off pictures that were, you know, um, nearly porn that people were posting. And then, uh, but it was a ton of fun to host a, you know, a good website mm-hmm. about triathlon um, that had the right kind of people on it, people that didn't take themselves too seriously, mm-hmm. and um, kind of the anti-slow twitch crowd. Mm-hmm. And but eventually it died off. Because of the whole Twitter thing, and then um, yeah, I just focused on doing the podcast and coaching instead. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, you can't you can't do everything. And I guess for me, you know, here I am, thirty nine years old, post divorce. I've had to relocate, and it's an opportunity 
to sort of uh, start fresh and redesign my own life. Mm-hmm. And I'm making choices in the direction of minimalism and not, I mean, I think the, the, the residence in terms of getting from 3,500 square feet into 30 feet is sort of a symbolic thing. And I do like the fact that like I have very few possessions, everything I need in life is in here, but I'm trying to do the same thing with obligations and things that take time. I'm trying to just choose a few things that I like and I want to do them very well and everything else I'm just going to say no to. And so I didn't uh, necessarily enjoy publishing the website. Every time I would visit my own forum, I would generally get ornery. Um, it just wasn't uh, – <laughs> and, and, and there were – it was something that made a little bit of money but not enough that it was significant when you had to split it between me and Aaron Webster. So I felt like gifting it to him was a, a way to reward him for his hard work and uh, he continues to focus on it. And that way, it's just something I don't have to think about, worry about, or anything else. Because, I mean, think about it. Every obligation you have in life is something that takes energy. Mm-hmm. And I'm just trying to get a lot of things off my plate so that I can, you know, uh, work, be a good dad, get fit, be healthy, do a podcast that's fun for me and maybe even fun for my listeners. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, don't worry about them. And everything else just needs to go away. You know what I mean? That's that's sort of my mindset lately. All right. Let's take a break from the interview and mention Amrita Bars. I just had one. Where is it? Where's the wrapper? It was the chocolate maca. Maca? Maca attack. Let's see. Let me go get it right here. Because they have regular energy bars, and then they have their recovery energy bars. Here it is. Oh, Amrita. Plant-based nutrition. Chocolate maca. 15 grams of protein in one bar. How about that? I have I have the high protein ones after I swim. Oh man, it's such good stuff. They have all different kinds of flavors. They are non uh I wouldn't say non-allergenic because that's that's like uh it's not the right wording. Hypoallergenic. <laughs> there's no nuts. They use seeds instead for the protein. So if you have a nut allergy, there's no worries there. They are uh vegan friendly. And uh, no animal products used inside. Uh, gluten-free, dairy-free, peanut-free, soy-free. Long time, long, long time uh, sponsor of the show. Kai was in a soccer game today drinking out of an Amrita water bottle. Speaking of the other stuff they make, they have all kinds of cool gear. And he scored two goals. Now, if you eat Amrita bars, will you score two goals in life? Probably. You never know. Got to find out. And you can find out by going to... AmritaHealthFoods.com and using discount code ZEN2016. That's discount code ZEN2016. It's actually a really cool fuel for long rides because it's super easy to digest. And also, here's another thing. They don't freeze. A lot of bars, the competition, uses uh, stuff that will actually freeze when it gets cold. As we head into winter, Amrita bars stay soft. You can open one up and plow through it uh, nice and chewy and uh, they're date based it's really cool um, the way I eat Amrita bars when I'm biking along is I open one up and or I'll maybe pre-open one before I get going on the bike but anyway I take a bite out of it like maybe a quarter or a third of the bar in one bite and then I fold the end of the wrapper back over the rest of the bar and then I put it on uh the, on my quad, I stuff it up the front of my bike shorts from the uh, knee side 
kind of push it up in there and it stays flat with my quad right here right there and then um 20 minutes later 30 minutes later i just grab it pull it back out push the bar forward in the wrapper boom another bite and it keeps your stomach feeling so good super smooth super nice there's cardamom in it which actually soothes the stomach so all right that's it for amrita bars thank you so much for being a sponsor show them some love Again, uh, discount code 2016, Zen2016 at healthfoods.com. And also they have, like I said, a big store with all kinds of cool gear, shirts, jerseys, water bottles, fun stuff like that. Go check them out. All right, back to the episode. You know, that's really, that's really interesting because um, I went through that uh, kind of stuff, not the divorce, but like everything else, my whole life being turned upside down. And trying to start having to start all over again, and that's yeah. when uh, it could be anything. But I, I, you know, just in an airport as I was flying back and forth across the country trying to get my life back together, you know, I came across a, a book on Zen, right? And so I was like, oh, cool, you know. And Zen is really a religion or a, what a philosophy for people that are miserable <laughs> and trying to make sense out of life, right? Sure. And and. Then, you know, over the years, listening to Zen podcasts and, and whatever, and then starting my own and kind of looking into it and then doing the whole long course triathlon, you're really trying to find yourself. Like, what am I, you kind of throw yourself against a wall, just kind of like, fuck, like something that's too hard to be any good at. And then you find out more about yourself. And then this whole movement with like minimalism and small houses and get getting rid of everything, like a lot of podcasts I subscribe to and listen to, and they're, they're really great. But lately, um, the thing that I'm noticing is what, uh, and you're, I think you're kind of at this, you're starting to get at this kind of, it's kind of like the stages of loss, you know, like the seven stages of grief or five <laughs> or whatever the fuck they are. Um, <clears throat> You know, there's like angry, anger, and I don't know what order they're in. Anger and denial and all this other shit. But there's, you can almost like psychologically diagnose where people are in their, in their um, path in life. And it's like, I'm kind of at the point now with all that stuff. See, you're, you're turning 39 or you are 39. Yeah. I turned 40 in April. Okay. So I've noticed that around our age, cause I'm just a few years older than you and the, what you start looking for is your own, you know, like aha moments, like, holy crap. Like you're saying, you know, you moved into a place that's smaller, right? Mm -hmm. And you like it and all this stuff. And, um, but what I'm kind of thinking of now is moments, what I'm noticing that I like, cause you have all these podcasts and all this, all these interviews and all this shit, all these TV channels that you can listen to. What I've noticed that's interesting is moments of enlightenment and, what that is, is aha moments where somebody has kind of like, they're like, oh, wait, this isn't working and this is working. And they're very like personal and, and individual. And then listening to those and listening to other people kind of come to their own realizations kind of teaches you a little bit about like what, like uh, yourself, you know, kind of like, oh, holy shit. And it makes for freaking awesome interviews on podcasts. So... Mm -hmm. The, the thing where you're like, where you're talking about, you know, I, there, oh, I know what it was. Uh, you said you had a moment of realization. You were talking about this on your own podcast. 
you had a moment of realization where you admitted that you felt like um, you're you're really thick skinned on Twitter, and you can <laughs> you can just give people shit like crazy, and even on the podcast, like you and I are like going back and forth, like making fun of each other, right? But on the forum, right on the inter- on your uh, TRS forum, yeah, like you would take shit if somebody said something when it's in text to you on a forum, then you're like thin skinned, and then like you don't like that. And that's like a that's like a holy shit what moment where you're kind of like wow that's really different that tells you something more about yourself that you didn't expect. Well, I would say generally I'm thin skinned anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would say so, almost. I would say ninety nine percent of the time I read a any comment on Twitter, um, I want to punch that person. Okay. I, I I hate them all. Almost all the comments. They're all, I just, it, it, it enrages me. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but I don't, normally don't react, right? Yeah. But uh, I think I mentioned that in my own forum, I found myself uh, getting even more agitated because I felt like those were people that should understand what I'm, <laughs> what yeah. I'm about. And, and when they didn't, then I just, uh, yeah, I, it was never a, a good combination. But yeah, I'm, I'm incredibly thin skinned. That's probably a misconception of that. I, but, so maybe on the forum, that's like the real you, and then the the on Twitter where, where you got started. Um, ultra Ultraman is where vegans uh, yell at their significant others or whatever. We started <laughs> started it all. What, right? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Twitter was a character, right? It was a character yeah. that's morphed, and it sort of then became kind of me. But I still am way more brazen and ridiculous on twitter like twitter is the most ridiculous aspect of my personality yeah it is the most donald trumpish aspect aspect of my personality mm-hmm. i i every deplorable thought i have i just let fly and i figure it's still kind of okay because it's basically a character that i'm playing right. um <laughs> probably you know the 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 podcast is probably as close to you can get as to the more accurate version of but see, this, ben Hobbs. what we're talking about right now is really interesting stuff. And I'll tell you something that sometimes when I'm arguing with somebody on Twitter, I'll think to myself, what would the real Starkey say? Right? <laughs> fuck you in all caps. Yeah. And then I'll be like, later, <laughs> fuck off, and then blocked. And done. I did that just the other day. I almost did it again today. And then, um, uh, but anyway... The whole thing where uh, moments... It's all a big waste of time with Twitter. I I should get off of it and spend less time there. Uh, Unfortunately, it is sort of uh, the news and information feed. I don't... I mean, I feel like I get almost all of my information from Twitter these days. You get it so fast. There's so much information out there. You just kind of... becomes too much after a certain point. Yeah, I feel like you've leveraged in your position with your, your Twitter... your Twitterness, your Twitter character... You've kind of like let you you can leverage that to get um, interviews and make points, uh, unlike other people. So you shouldn't get rid of it because it's kind of like it's like this lever. It's like a platform that you're you've built, you know, to use to to make points and to say things. You said something earlier today on Twitter that was fantastic. Uh, I can't remember what it was now, though. But uh, uh, there's probably like eight things that were fantastic, Brett. Um, 
Oh, there's probably you know, which one was the many, most many fantastic. dozens. <laughs> Hold on, let me let's look. <laughs> and um, but anyway, I think it, with podcasting, I think now we've kind of um, jumped the shark a little bit in podcasting. Like when you and I first met, I told you, you know, podcasting was kind of like ham radio. That's the thing I always tell people when it first started out. Mm-hmm. And then, then it got really commercialized. And then now that's kind of gotten uh, old and kind of like TV. Mm-hmm. And now people are looking for real meaning. Like, what are you really going to listen to? And now I think we're at the point of moments of enlightenment where people go, um, I did think this and then I realized that. And I think that that really strikes people <clears throat> as deep stuff. Yeah. Well, I don't know that we're going there. I mean, we're still going to have a lot of dick jokes, Brett. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're oh. going to goof. We're going to goof around a lot. Uh, but I think you know we're going to try to address controversy and news and get some good <laughs> stories out there. You know, I mean, I, I feel like a couple of the episodes we had recently were, were quite good. That were not our typical pro athlete interview. It was we've got you know this guy Colin. Um, Which is funny because it sounds like colon. Yeah, and the poor guy <laughs> diagnosed with stage four colon cancer like two yeah. years ago. So, I mean, it was just an incredible interview, and I was really nervous to do it, and I hope mm. it came off well. But um, an incredible human being, and uh, you know, the the feedback I got about that was very positive. And here's a guy that uh, you know was told he had two years to live two years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, he seems to be doing well, but you know. Who knows? The, the, the guy's essentially been given a diagnosis. and But we were able to have fun, you know, and joke around with the guy. That's what he wanted. He wanted to be treated the same as anybody else. And uh, Well, that's what so I think. When we, that's what I'm talking about is, like, it's the expected turned on its head. It's kind of like a lot of people would, would think that you would never be able to do, you know, this kind of stuff. Uh, with colon cancer or colostomy bag and he did and it kind of makes you rethink everything you know yeah that and the john joseph interview made me think all right maybe we do want to maybe veer away a little bit from just pro athlete every week Mm -hmm. maybe we sprinkle in some more of these interesting stories that aren't uh you know a high level pro i mean i i do i do um like that aspect of our show that we can get i think we've had Ferdino on like four times and mm-hmm. we at this point i can get just about anybody except for a handful that are mad at me to, to do the show mm-hmm. so i think that's great and i like doing it but yeah every once in a while to bring in somebody outside of that spectrum i think would be good so i'm looking at your twitter feed right now and when you say uh when you make fun of matt dixon does that make him want to come on your show or not oh <laughs> I, would, I would i would rather interview uh, a rock than Matt Dixon. Why? I forgot. Uh, is, he, is he British or Canadian? British. He is. Yeah. Is he the one that was the British coach? Or is that? Yeah, he's 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 in San Francisco. He's mm-hmm. Mr. Silicon Valley, and he's got a lot of very wealthy age groupers he coaches, and he's actually got a lot of pro athletes he coaches too. Is he purple patch? Is he the purple patch guy? Purple patch. Purple patch. Mom, will we always live in a puppet patch? <laughs> Mom, will my FTP always be so poor? Yeah. I, I, I decided I would never say anything bad about anybody ever again. Whoa. Like, you're, you're making this very hard for me. Wait, when did that start? What are you drinking, by the way? 
<laughs> Coors Light. Oh, Coors Light. Okay. Yeah, that won't stick. But uh, wait, yeah, wait, I, I, just, I, I just, I just find Dixon to be aggravating. I just find him to be an obnoxious human. You just said like two sentences ago, you're not going to say anything bad about anybody. Well, that's 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 not. Those aren't negative things, are they? <laughs> <laughs> But my God, I mean, he seems to be coaching everyone. And uh, yeah. and the great thing about being coached by Matt is whether he's just a consultant or whether he's your coach or whether he was your coach five years ago, uh, if you do something well, he's going to write about it on his blog and basically take credit uh, yeah. for, for everything you do. So I think he actually wrote a blog already about the Chicago Cubs taking full credit for their success. Mm-hmm. Somehow it's related to him. It's got to be. There must be a specific example you're thinking of. That he's done. That's got a burr oh, under your Texas saddle. You know the the uh, you know he, he seemed to have built his entire business around Meredith Kessler and tried to protect her and called me and and for hours and hours of his life he spent hours of his life talking to me begging me not to publish a story about the simple fact that Meredith Kessler hit a pedestrian, mm-hmm. fled the scene, pled guilty to it both in criminal and civil court. Yeah. These are facts, okay? Right. So, and the story is buried, and I can only guess as to why triathlete lava slow twitch never covered it. Because when I finally figured out this this had happened, I reached out to Meredith to try to get a comment. Suddenly, I'm getting called by Matt Dixon, hours and hours of phone calls. Yeah. Please, you can't print well, this. Why did you, you stay will on the destroy phone with them for hours? Though? You will destroy this girl. I'm trying. I'm, I'm listening. I'm trying to be. He's, he's, you know, he's a high-profile coach. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm being sympathetic. I'm not an asshole, actually, mm-hmm. in real life. So, and the whole time he's kind of like telling me that, you know, maybe we will participate and do an interview and do a comment, etc. But hours of this guy's life, mm-hmm. he spent basically guilting me into not publishing the story that seemed totally appropriate to publish the facts about what happened there. Yeah. And so I just think that he's the type of person that would um, help an athlete, you know, bury a body if they committed a murder. <laughs> I think that he felt maybe that his up. entire empire would collapse somehow if Meredith Kessler was um, known to be a hit and run felon. But she wasn't a felon, by the way. She did not get charged with a felony. So let me make sure I clarify that. But mm-hmm. um, but then after Mer- then. After all of that, Meredith leaves him, right? She leaves him. Yeah. And he couldn't wait even two seconds to get on his blog Mm -hmm. and write about all the things that they had accomplished together. And when I read that, it seemed like kind of like a fuck you for leaving me. I did all this for you, and now I'm going to take credit for everything we did together. He did the same thing with Holly Lawrence. I guess he's not been coaching her at all this year mm-hmm. but after she has some success he hops on his blog and writes all about her it just seems to kind of really be into self-promotion and image crafting i yeah. just i i'm basically still just annoyed that he wasted so much of my time on the phone begging, <laughs> me, it all not, goes down to begging that. me not to write about meredith castle you will destroy this poor girl <laughs> she has lost everything everything (laughs) (laughs) so who's a coach you would interview you do want to interview i love talking to filial and paulo susa and siri lindley Mm -hmm. and um i'd love to get sutto on sometime 
Would you not be able? Would Would you be able to hold back from uh, a, uh, some sort of pedophile joke with Sutto? No, 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 no. Listen, I if terms of pedophilia, I have a lot of respect for Sutto because yeah. here's one thing: he may have gotten a blowjob from his friend's 16 year old daughter, uh-huh. <laughs> but but you got to tip your cap to him. At least he didn't kill her. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. A lot of times the pedophiles will actually think murder. Mm-hmm. You can't have Get that rid evidence. Of the evidence. This is a, basically a stolen uh, Louis C.K. bit, but yeah, yeah that, that's... Uh, I didn't know that. That's, you you got you to gotta give him credit for not killing her. Okay. Right? Yeah, I guess so. Because if he had killed her, maybe what we you, wouldn't know about this. She would just you, be a missing person. What do you think um, led to... <laughs> Sutto all of a sudden being able to actually type. Oh, he's not. Someone has taken over his account and his blog. Yeah. I mean, his, 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 I don't even know what you, his grammar language or something was. It's a, he's got a ghostwriter. But up until then, it was insanity. Like, uh, oh, it was, it was amazing. I couldn't tell if it was him or Jonas Colting that was typing. It was amazing. Yeah. I think, uh, I don't know if the deal is that maybe he has, a little bit of dyslexia, perhaps. Oh, are we making fun of somebody's handicap? That's not cool. Yeah, Sorry. yeah. Way to go, Brett. You shouldn't have done that. Uh, but I, no, nobody really knows, right? All we Maybe know it for was sure, horse language. Since he used to all race. we know for sure is yeah. that he, the a friend of the family, close friends, had a sixteen-year-old daughter. He was that woman, that girl's coach, mm-hmm. and he coerced that sixteen-year-old into giving him. Multiple blowjobs. Mm-hmm. And we're all supposed to act like that never happened and, and we should still respect him as a human being, as a coach and a pillar of the triathlon community. Yeah. And, and, and he can lecture us about the sport and about morality and about the morality of drafting. I mean, I saw this ass clown post a rant about the morality of drafting at uh, – uh, <laughs> Iron Man, and that it's. I mean, who, who does this guy think he is? Yeah, but he put his penis. Him, he what? put his penis in the mouth yeah. of his friend's daughter. Mm-hmm. Don't matter, talk to me about drafting. Does it matter more that it was a friend's daughter? What if it? What you keep saying, friend's daughter? I think it's actually worse that he preyed on a family friend's daughter. So yeah, if it wasn't that, a friend's daughter, worse. then it would have been okay. No, no, no. But there's a, a to me, it's a degree of slime ball that's worse, given the fact that it was a, a family friend's daughter. Yeah. Then what would, if you if he was on an interview with you, what would you actually, besides the daughter thing, what would you, what would you ask? <laughs> I would say. Uh, what's worth What's worth interviewing him about? First question would be, I would say, so Brett, take me back. Uh, what sports did you play growing up? Uh, swimming, a little uh, running, a little... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> he didn't do anything. How the heck are you? I think it's interesting with Sutton how he manages to have so much success with women athletes. I think he has some sort of charisma um, power hold over them where he gets them to do what he wants. And he Seems uses to be, that. Yeah. It would, it would appear that there is an intense amount of psychological control that he exerts. I mean, if you read Chrissy Wellington's book, and she's giving you the version that she wants to put out there, yeah. 
But it's almost like if, they're in love with him in a weird I, way. I don't know if it's that, but he does exert a lot of power and control, it would appear. There's a lot of psychological control. Mm-hmm. That's like a father-daughter thing. Uh, not a, I mean, maybe, maybe not a healthy father-daughter thing. No, but, not a healthy one, but I think that's the role. It's like they want approval from him. There's something in his his body language or his the way he talks to them that's like, they want approval from daddy and they'll do whatever he says. Anecdotally, what people say, one would think that there's a pattern of where he kind of like really tears someone down mm-hmm. to then build them back up again. Yeah. Um, so maybe it, it would appear to me to be a bit of a mind fuck. Now, at the same time, those are the stories. There's a bias here, right? There's a selection bias. Those are the stories people tell me because they know that I think Sutto's kind of a creep. No one's going to reach out to me via email and say, Brett is an amazing coach. Like, he was so beautiful to me, and uh, my self-esteem was so much better after the fact. So I don't get emails like that. I just get the, hey, I heard you don't like him. Here's a supporting, here's some supporting evidence. Mm-hmm. But it would appear that there's uh, yeah, some sort of mind control going on there. Yeah, well, and see, and it works on the female athletes, and it doesn't work on the males. You know? Yeah. He doesn't have anywhere near the success with the guy athletes. And with with the with the females, I think the the control and the breaking down of them, you know, works. It's not a it's not a I have a uh I was in a Marine Corps military school and I was in the Corps at A and M and they, they do that. They tear you down. Right. But it's a very controlled environment. You can't leave. <clears throat> Right. And so as a guy, you kind of need that. Like you need, if they're going to tear you down, you, they need to control you so that you can't just walk the fuck out of there. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the, I think with the girl situation is the guy that the head coach can tear him down. And, and the thing, if it's a civilian environment where people can just walk out, mm-hmm. I think the guys go, I don't need this crap. Right. But the, mm-hmm. but the female gender kind of goes, well, maybe I'll hang around a little bit longer, see if I can get some approval from this guy. And then, um, then it works on them and then not the, not the males because he can't make them stay. It's not a military environment. They haven't signed up you know, mm-hmm. for, for life or something like that. They're not going to get uh, court martialed or something like that if they leave. True. Yeah. True. Yeah. I don't really know exactly what's going on there. I mean, you hear a few things, it's just a very interesting approach. Um, you know, he used to train dogs and horses, so. Right. Um, you treat people like animals. You strip them down to nothing. At the same time, he has yeah. to be doing something right. I mean, his results are amazing. Either he's um, cutting corners or he really does have a few things figured out. Uh, it would appear that most people think he's just really got, he's really got a good sense as to how to, how to coach and, um. And well, uh, so, you know, so what I learned from the from the whole uh, Marine Corps stuff and the the ROTC is you if you have control over people like that, you can brainwash them into being basically killing machines. Right. They will do whatever you say. You get a march in order, you know, and then the training that you can instill upon them, the dedication is above and beyond anything you've ever seen. How many kills do you have in your belt? Um, I don't like to talk about that so much, <laughs> but the, 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 
the, I'm just saying the dedication and the commitment is unbelievable. If you strip mm-hmm. people down and you, and you, but they're again in the military environment, they have to be there. They can't leave. Mm-hmm. And, um, but then the performance that you can glean out of, out of a, of a unit is above and beyond what you could ever imagine with, uh, with that kind of mindset of just insanity, like with, with teamwork, we're going to do everything together and nobody, nobody's left behind. Um, you know, what makes the grass grow blood, 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 you know, things like that. And get mm-hmm. people chanting all that, all that bullshit is just so mm-hmm. intense. And if Sutton ran a uh, triathlon training camp like that and got people to follow him, you know, you could really create an athlete that's five, 10% better than other ones. Um, you create several, many athletes that are five or 10% better just on mindset on how they train. And then when I talked to Jody Swallow and, and, um, I'm trying to, there's somebody else I interviewed that used to train under him. Uh, they just keep repeating the same kind of like stuff. That's like, I'm going to win. I'm going to go all out and then I'm going to win. That's what I do. Mm -hmm. You know? And you're, you're like, you're not really here. (laughs) Are you with me? You know, when you're talking, because you sound like you've kind of mentally checked out and you're like, you're just in all in, uh, and nothing's going to stop you regardless of reality. You know? mm-hmm. and it's very similar to like somebody that's in, in Navy SEAL training or something like that, or special forces, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't, I can't offer much guidance about military or special forces, Brett. Yeah. I, I really can't to, either. I'm really, I, I don't know when there. Nothing to contribute there. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Sutto, I, I miss the old Sato on Twitter, the unhinged. He's wasn't there like a, somebody should have started a Twitter account if there wasn't one that was like a Sato translator. I there, think was. I, there was. Yeah, there was. It was fantastic too. Yeah. It took his tweets and then turned. Uh, yes. Every single tweet. Into better. Every single tweet was translated uh-huh. and it was actually helpful. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> cool. Okay. So you said you went out running. Yeah. Uh, what are you training for? Are you talking about next fall? Th- those races? life. Um, <laughs> no, I, 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 I uh, it's funny. I, I retweeted somebody who said something very funny on Twitter. Uh-huh. Michael Egan. He's at Egansky on Twitter. I think he's very funny. Uh-huh. He said, uh, "Signing up for an Ironman to get yourself to train is like having a baby to save your marriage." Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think he hashtagged like. Dumb fucks or something like that. Yeah, he spelled dumb fuck D U M F U K. Yeah, yeah, one word. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> totally funny. Also, I'm actually going to do this though. I yeah. am going to. I, I do because I feel like for me, unless I have an event on the books that is uh, frightening, mm-hmm. it it can be. Uh, I, I can lose motivation. So I actually am going to sign up for a fall Iron Man. I'd like to do one on my 40th birthday. It would mm-hmm. be, I think, very cool to be able to look myself in the mirror and say, you're 40 years old and you're in the best shape of your entire life. Yeah. I think that would be important. When, um, when so. I read his tweet, your, your re- retweet of his tweet, I laughed at how funny that was. And then I thought, oh, shit, I do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, as soon as – and I recommend that other people do it because it really works. Um as soon as your event is over, 
uh, start thinking about signing up for another one as soon as you can. And it doesn't matter how far away it is. It can be a year like you're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. But it needs to be something that kind of scares you where you're kind of like, oh, shit, you know? And then that keeps you honest. It keeps you going, you know, I need to go out and train a little bit at least. And then you'll train yeah. more as it gets closer. But it needs to be something that when you're out training that you're thinking about, you can visualize kind of like, oh, man, when I do that, you know, uh, Ironman or a 50-mile trail race or something like that, that's freaking going to – it's going to kill me if I don't train for it. So mm-hmm. – and I've signed up and I kind of want to do it, you know, so I'm going to go out and train for that thing. I feel like uh, the signing up for the event is a good catalyst. Ultimately, you have to get into good habits and ultimately, for me, one month into training, you start to really realize that the process is enjoyable and you feel better and it feels good mm-hmm. and you like to be in that routine of doing some exercise every day. It just feels good and you can feel some progress and get a little bit stronger every couple of weeks. That's ultimately what hooks you in terms of building a sustainable habit. I think the signing up for the event is the good thing that just gets it going because right now i mean the biggest like excuse factory is the logistics like where, where the i don't know where the hell i'm gonna put my bike i mean mm-hmm. I, the 30 foot trailer I, what am i gonna set my fucking trainer up next to the microwave and the i mean right i feel like one little tiny hallway here right so i can't keep my bike in here all the time so i have to figure out logistically like where to swim in arlington where am i gonna ride my bike where am i gonna run running is easy but i think signing up for the event forces you to kind of get all your logistics in order once you've got a month under your belt of actually doing it, that's going to start to feel good, and then it's hard to stop. Don't you right. agree? Yeah. I was going to ask you, are you up to two-a-days yet, or are you still doing one-a-days? Dude, I'm barely up to five a week. Um, yeah, I'm just trying. I'm just I, At this point, I'm just trying to get my run frequency up. I'm just trying to run close to every day. Okay. That's really all I'm doing. And then I know you're everything's going to be because you're in a small space everything's close do you have everything or not organized where you can get like your running shoes and your, your oh yeah everything, clothes? everything has a place okay that's a huge because then when you're when you when one big barrier to training is finding your shit it's <laughs> yeah. so freaking annoying to be looking for a water bottle or your running shoes and you don't know where you left them or somebody else has put them somewhere in your house all right. yes. But yeah, my problem is I just don't have any place to put my bike. So I have to, mm-hmm. they, they will allow us to have a small shed on our lot. So I'm mm-hmm. going to buy like a small shed and I keep my bikes in that. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, then I'll be off to my races. But you know, um, there's some good TRS racing guys in Dallas Fort Worth to train with. Mm-hmm. Off the top of my head, there's like a dozen of us. Yeah. I'm sorry, half a dozen of us that I know already. Um, so I think it'd be fun to actually get out and, Mix it up with some of those Baco Squad TRS racing people, and um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it, man. The Arlington area is actually um, Arlington itself is not great for cycling, but you're on the edge of Dallas Fort Worth, so you can go out. Easy to get out of town. Once you get out of town, the cycling to the southwest of that area is fantastic. It's like it's rolling hills. You've got that lake. Um, I forgot the name of that lake that's near you. Joe Pool, Joe mm. Pool Lake is a really okay. good lake, and um, uh, uh, people used to have a lot of triathlons <clears throat> out there. Uh, the first triathlon I ever did was at right where you are, near there. Oh, really? Yeah, 
Um, hmm. Ironhead Race Productions, that guy, Jack Weiss, they got in so much shit. With oh, yeah, the guy that slapped his wife. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what the hell is going on? Is almost every male out there some type of sexual or physical predator? Yeah, I think so. I think it's a I mean, problem. <laughs> think, think about think about all of the people we know in the news right now. Our yeah. two presidential candidates. We got one whose husband is a serial sexual predator. Mm-hmm. We've got Donald Trump, who seems to be a serial he sexual predator. Grabs everybody assaulter. by the pussy. Yeah, yeah. We've got. Uh, That's how he says hi. Um, should I take my shirt off for you, or is this good? No, I think you got the Kavorka. Brett, everyone is going to unsubscribe for your podcast. You just alienated maybe half of your audience By as what? I trash Trump and Clinton. I basically bash both of them, and nobody wants to hear about politics anyway in a triathlon podcast. Everyone is going to unsubscribe from this, and they're, this is bad for both of us. You need to edit out the last 40 minutes. Okay. <laughs> I'll put it on after. It was my favorite part, though. I enjoy talking about this I'll put stuff. it at the end of the show, my five-hour podcast that I made. That you yeah, point, yeah. That you pointed out. I love your five-hour podcast. Can this be a five-hour podcast that I am <laughs> a part be. of? Okay, so let's let's uh, let's uh, cover the main points here. What did, uh, what have we learned? What have we learned today? Well, I think that what you want to get out there is the the TRS Triathlon Balco um, team. Me no, up. that's that's essentially shut down. We did close uh, applications, but for your audience, I would consider letting them in, in particular if you're going to rejoin Baco Squad, which I think you should. But what? Yeah, agreed. But so you wanted fun. to get that out there—that you have a team with Balco. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, TRS Racing basically formed a super alliance with uh, with AJ with the Baco many, Squad. How many athletes, and then what kind of what kind of training? How does this improve? Uh, people's lives uh fun that's basically it i think it's gonna be fun we've got you know a private forum mm-hmm. through triroost.com which is the new name of the former trs forum mm-hmm. uh, so we've got a private forum we're gonna do lots of team events and we're no, spending a no dickheads in the forum if you take yourself too seriously you get kicked out yeah it, there's a interesting culture that i've noticed about both aj's team and my team mm-hmm which is we have some fast people and I think I had four people in Kona this year that were TRS racing members. Is there somebody as fast as Dark Mark who won a sprint triathlon? Well, we got lots of people faster than Dark Mark. <laughs> but it's fun first, right? People are there to to they don't take themselves seriously. They don't uh, take their results seriously. We have a lot of people that are trying to get fit. Mm-hmm. trying to go fast but for the most part it's a fun loving group of people that just enjoy busting chops having fun goofing around and so if you come in with a slow twitch mentality we're like dude anybody over 13 hours in an ironman shouldn't even fucking get to finish you should you know get run. any type of horseshit like mm-hmm. that where you're taking yourself and your results and the sport very seriously you're gonna get run pretty quick yeah um and what else? So, Y'all have a there's a forum so people can meet up with other people. Is there like a, well at this like, point the the whole point of merging would be so that you have more people in your local geographic uh, location, mm-hmm. local geographic location in your locality, mm-hmm. <laughs> if you will. That you I've can never actually, heard a triple uh, repetitive 
that you can actually be friends with in the yeah. real world, right? Because forums and Facebook and Twitter and all this stuff is cute. But at the end of the day, I want people in Dallas that I can train with and hang with and be friends with. Yeah. And there's a shared sense of humor. I guess people that listen to my podcast are, I think that's the common denominator for people that join TRS Racing. AJ, as you know, you've had him on your show many times. He's a character. Mm-hmm. He's a lot of fun. Yeah. He, uh, he, he races. He trains hard. He does his best. But ultimately, AJ is about having fun in life. Yeah. And yeah, AJ, is, cool AJ is winning at life. I don't know if mm-hmm. you've spent any time around AJ in the real world, but he is winning at life. He's got an amazing, beautiful girlfriend who's just the sweetest person you could ever meet. Um, and they've got a great life. They have a lot of fun. They travel a lot. AJ, you know, for a guy that has, you know, a few decent results, he's totally um, motivated and business savvy and, Quite frankly, part of the reason for the merger was to let him negotiate a lot of the deals. Mm -hmm. And by bringing 200-plus people to the table, we can add more value to a brand like Castelli, who's Mm -hmm. doing our kits again. And and, and, and Castelli, you know, has to offer us a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be better for both teams in terms of swag, discounts, and some of the benefits that people do want in joining a club in addition to making friends. So I guess what I would say is it's friendship first um, with uh, some benefits, some discounts, some swag. Friends some, with benefits? Uh, friends with benefits, yeah. Uh, what about um, this is going to allow you to focus on your podcast more or not be distracted from your podcast. What What changes will we see in your show? I don't know, like uh, quality or – or guests, or, or uh, <clears throat> frequency, or something? What, what's going to change? Frequency might change. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've got this patron campaign, patreon.com, which I've told you, Brett, you should do a campaign. But I've done uh, it, and then I wasn't able to keep it up, so I need to get back on it. Um, Injury sucks. It's really demotivating. Yeah. 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 So I told my patrons if we got up to X dollars per episode mm-hmm. that I would do two shows a week. And it would appear based on talking with them on that Patreon private kind of website that mm-hmm. uh, they do want a second show. So, yeah, Mark and I are trying to figure out exactly what that second show looks like. And um, so, yeah, it might be two shows a week. Mm-hmm. So, you know, AJ's totally running the team. I basically am just a worthless figurehead. My job is to do a good podcast, make it funny, and help that kind of be the marketing for the team. No longer doing any web publishing or anything like that. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's not totally unreasonable to do two shows a week um, sometime in the near future. You could do a show like about uh, pro shit, and then you could do a show about not pro, right? Maybe, yeah. Something to make um, them different from each other or something. It's funny. We, we surveyed the patrons and tons of comments, tons of feedback, and as you could probably guess, nobody agreed on what the second show should be. Yeah, yeah. And one person, I don't remember who but it was. But they have very strong opinions on what it <laughs> Well, you know, everybody wants something different. Some people wanted like 30 minutes of news. They wanted news of what happened in the races that weekend. Some people are like, no, I want another long-form interview. Some people wanted more Dark Mark and Tommy Zafiris telling jokes. Mm-hmm. And ultimately somebody said... Do the show you want to do, whatever you want to do. 
It'll be better if it's something do that. You want to do. It'll be better, and then it'll be sustainable because you'll actually enjoy doing it. Yeah, and so that's true. Uh, I'm going to see Mark this weekend. He's coming down to Dallas. There's NASCAR uh, racing going on at Texas Motor Speedway. Mm-hmm. Taking the RV. Going to see Landon Castle. You got to have him on your show, by the way. Who's that? Landon Na- Castle. Landon Castle. He's a NASCAR driver. Oh, okay. Drives a 38 car. Great dude. He's a vegan. What? Is that possible? He's a vegan, they don't kill vegan him? NASCAR driver who's a triathlete, qualified for 70.3 Worlds last year. Very fast, very fit uh, triathlete. Damn. And a uh, young guy, ton of fun. Yeah, so got to know him. He's been on my show before. And uh, yeah, last time he was in town, he actually stayed at my ex mother in law's house with me. <laughs> and I chauffeured him around. Actually, he insisted on driving. Uh, but yeah, it was a good hang. So Mark's going to come down, and I'm sure we'll get to talk about what we want to do. But yeah, we have to figure that out. The triathlon news is, you know, I run that at the front of my show because I think that there's actually a um, a a market for that because there's a lot of people that, you know, you're not going to get your triathlon news unless you go read it, right? And then a lot of people don't have the time or don't want to go read all the triathlon news and go find it because triathlon news is scattered all over the place, right? You got to go yep. to like three different websites to get the triathlon news. Uh, three, four, five. Like you're saying, like with the Kessler thing, you know, some some, some websites wouldn't even cover that, right? And People just get their triathlon news from Twitter, don't they? Um, maybe. Is that how you get it quickly no, as possible? No, I go between Slow Twitch, Triathlete, um, DC Rainmaker. Who's he? Yeah, uh, try uh, Arrow Geeks, Tri Rig, and I kind of like cycle through them, bike mm-hmm. radar, and kind of go through those, and then I come up with like and Twitter, and I'm like, okay, well here's the news stories, but then a lot of people aren't don't care that much, but they do want to know the news. So if you condense that into one show, then when people are driving to work or they're out on their run, you know, they can get all the traffic on news, done, without having to go through all that shit to go mm-hmm. get it, and then. Uh, that's a, I mean, that's a good show right there. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know how interested I am in talking about what happened over the weekend. But Yeah, that too, because it seems repetitive it. after a while. You know, It's kind of like, mm-hmm. well, somebody did way better than they should have. Is that doping? <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, there's this race and then that race. And it, trying to find the angle on what makes it interesting is what's kind of hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. What's your favorite? What's your favorite song, Brett? My favorite song. Mm-hmm. Uh, High Plains Drifter by the Beastie Boys. <laughs> really? Oh, I love the Beastie Boys. Yeah. Oh yeah. Have you had John Joseph on? Because he know he like he grew up with those guys. Really? No. I oh yeah. Had him on. Gonna get him on. No, my son loves it, and I was explaining to him <clears throat> how complicated that song is. You've got three guys that are all rapping over each other and so many references to historical stuff like pop mm-hmm. culture in the 60s and 70s and uh and even 80s and uh i was thinking like that's a really cool song it's really complicated it's complex there you go dun, dun, here we dun, go dun, 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 bum, bum. Bum, bum. hell of a bass line Beastie Boys are probably my favorite band ever. Mm-hmm. 
It represents my college years. We had this stuck in a CD player of my friend Supra in college. So you got several guys all talking over each other, you know, over the... It's unbelievable. Over the, yeah, it's, it's amazing. And, I think uh, one of the best nights of my entire life was a UNLV. There was a Beastie Boys cover band. Mm-hmm. Oh, there was about 30 people in this bar in Las Vegas near the UNLV campus. And we stayed up till probably five in the morning. Not only did they do all the Beastie Boys covers, but they were doing all that sort of late 90s, early 2000s hip hop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it was totally incredible. They were amazing performers. It was the perfect amount of booze friends and it was just a great time something uh you know rick rubin was their producer for Mm -hmm. i don't know if he did paul's boutique but paul's boutique was considered beastie boys um an album they could never make again because it has so and that high plains drifters on it and it's because um they use so many sound bites from other things that now you would get uh you can't play it um without getting fined or sued by the other artists mm. you know it's the whole david bowie and vanilla ice you know beats and, mm-hmm. and things like that um i forgot that's called sound clips sound bites something uh samples it's so heavily sampled from so many other things and uh rick i think rick, rick rubin produced it he produced their first one the license to ill um but I think you might really enjoy if you haven't heard it yet uh rick rubin has been on the Tim, Tim Ferriss. Tim Ferriss, and it was mind-blowing. Like, no, it was, it was really good, yeah. That was yeah. really good. He goes, so what makes you different from other record producers? And he goes, there's a long pause, and he goes, I don't know how to answer that question. And then <laughs> he goes, well, why, why not? And he goes, I don't know what other record producers do. <laughs> and you're like, oh, shit. This interview just got weird. And uh, uh, Rick Rubin started meditating when he was 14, I think he said. I loved yeah. how that whole interview he was talking about hanging out with Phil Maffetone too. That he had Phil Maffetone living in his house with him. Yeah, um, that's Tawny's. That's Tawny's that's main Tawny's squeeze. Squeeze, yeah. But but Rick Rubin was recently on another podcast with like James Altucher or somebody hmm. big, and it was the exact same thing. It was insane. Like that dude is so zinned out and like mellow and focused um Mm -hmm. and that's what enabled him to actually he said the way he got these artists like the bc boys and whatever to and ll cool j Mm -hmm. that's where he got his start ll cool j beastie boys and um somebody else uh but then yeah the, the list is insane uh you know like he brought johnny cash back from the dead basically was to off he said all he wanted to do was make them authorize the artists to be themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. And that reminded me of what you're saying about your podcast. Um, if you do what you want to do, then it'll be better, you know? And, True. uh, then it's sustainable. I mean, that's how I've mm-hmm. been doing the Zen Tri podcast for so long is it's my own. I don't give a shit. Like if it's <laughs> di- obviously <laughs> because it's mine and I don't, I'm not, I don't. Uh, I don't do it for anybody else or or, or anything. I remember. Uh, I think I told you, Rich. But you Roll, had a loyal. You've had a loyal audience of you know thousands of people that have listened to you for forever, a decade. 
Yeah, I get emails all the time. I've been listening to you since the beginning. I'm like, man, I'm sorry yeah. for all those years. But the uh, uh, I remember uh, working with Rich Roll and Vinny Tortorich when they were first getting started. And they go, how do you keep track of your listeners? And I go, I don't. I don't care. <laughs> I told you that too, right? Did I ever tell you that? I go, I don't. And I asked you how many people you like had to like look it up. You have to go look up how many listeners I got because that that will undo your quality. You do it for yourself, and then the listeners. Uh, if you're any good, the listeners will come, and then it's more yeah. enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well dude, I, I appreciate uh, appreciating you help me get started, and uh, always always a pleasure. Let's do the uh, trailer house try. Oh yeah, I know just one of rep- your listeners probably started that damn account, and I want to. Uh, <laughs> I want, they're going to try to sh- sell it to me yeah. for a thousand dollars. Do you think now. I was the first person to tweet that hashtag? They're going to try to sell me that at Trailer House. I try think account you tweeted or, the hashtag first, but then I jumped on it and go, "Dude, this has to happen." I knew it was right up your alley. You were somebody who gets it, Brett. Yeah, I, like, RV, I do a middle finger to the man, big time. There's a there's an opportunity here for a triathlon mass participation triathlon that embraces rv culture Uh, there's something to rv culture it's very very cool culture again you seriously want thousands of people to show up to this thing how are you gonna get thousands of people to swim in a pool an above ground pool (laughs) no maybe not that's a stretch goal but Uh, yeah uh, i don't know i don't know if race directing is even my thing i need a partner in this endeavor I, uh, so maybe we'll I do it together, a, Brett. I did a, uh, an Iron Baby one year, a self-supported Iron Man with like, I don't know, 10 people. And we broke into a neighborhood pool and swam in that, a 25-meter pool, and swam in wetsuits in this 25-meter pool and had to be <laughs> quiet. Somebody started, and hey, go! Like that. Everybody goes, shh, like that. And we swam. And then the next weekend, they locked the pool down so that nobody could get in. They changed That's all funny. the locks on it because of what we oh, did. Man. So... Yeah, I'm there with you, man. Well, always a pleasure, Brett. All right. Thank you, brother. Thank you Thank for having you. me on. All right. And that's it, dude. How you feeling? I feel good. All right. Thank you very much, Mr. Hobbs. And let's see, you can find him on Twitter at TRS underscore radio. Let's see, I've got him up here. I'm following, no, TRS underscore try. And I have uh, him here on my Twitter feed. I'm also watching Iron Man Arizona. Looks like Heather Jackson is having the time of her life uh, live tweeting Iron Man Arizona. Friend of Zentri, Angela Nath. Looks like she's in the top three or four. And Mary Beth Kessler is leading the run. And we'll see where that ends up. But anyway... Yeah, uh, let's go ahead and mention some supporters before we get into Dirksonville here with Mike Dirksen's swim interview. And let's switch over to the list here. So you can help out Zentry if you enjoy the show by uh, supporting it on the left-hand side of the Zentry podcast webpage, zentriathlon.com. There are one-time donation links and uh, recurring donation links. It's all good because it all goes to help support the show and it really does help. And let's see, let's start off with, oh, and if you donate, I'll read your name on the podcast. So we have Brian Kemper, Todd Nelson, Matthew Heinz, Matthew Froese, M. Webb, Tyler Moyer, Matthew Crehan, uh, Spiros Fetsis, Joseph Diber, Richard Trigo, 
James Von Hippel, Houston Marsh, Sean L., and Sean, I always want to say Sean, or Sheen, <laughs> Sean sent in a whopper of a donation, man. I couldn't believe it when I saw it. Thank you so much. That really helped out a lot. And Michael Radagna and Brett Hoyer, the coolest first name in triathlon. Simon Wright and Justice Phillips, the other coolest name in triathlon. Justice, what a cool first name. And Jonathan Woodman and Han Chu, who I used to coach. How you doing, Hun? And John Mulan and Favia Katie Joe. Oh, by the way, speaking of support and coaching, I'm about to have one slot open up. Um, I'm enjoying uh, that slot being open right now and I'm not coaching too many people because I got a lot of, a lot of stuff going on with uh, my son's Boy Scout troop that I'm dude in half, less than half an hour I got to be there to go sign off kids on uh, rank advancement and stuff like that. But um, Training Peaks added the ability, finally, the ability to build uh, graphs, blocks. For workouts and it's drag and drop I do i like to do um hard versus easy you know scale of one to ten the rpe rate of perceived exertion six now do 10 minutes of five now do one minute of eight now do three minutes of four and uh and with descriptions you know if it's swimming like freestyle breaststroke whatever and it's so easy it's so nice i'm loving it absolutely loving it making workouts more clear for the athlete to understand, and of course you can save them, and then I can uh, I can uh, move them around, and oh my gosh, it's the best. So anyway, I'm digging that. That's really just a news story. The TrainingPeaks.com added that, and I'm super super excited. And I guess let's go ahead and get started with our buddy Mike Dirksen. He is back with some swimming. How things went down when he went from planned freshwater swim to suddenly saltwater swim 2.4 miles and how he did i love talking to him he is a blast to have on the show hopefully we'll have him on uh in the future more as he continues to grow and expand his ultra stuff so let's go ahead here is mike dirksen Am I there? Dude. All right, let me go headset. I know that's important. Okay. Can you hear me right now? Can you hear me now? Absolutely. Let's start recording right from the beginning. Got it. Got it. Oh, no. Three, two, one, go. 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 Wait. All right. Go. (laughs) (laughs) Full start. Full start. Go. Back to the blocks. Did you see in the Olympics... Where the uh, guy false started on in a track race, I don't know, it was like two hundreds or four hundred or eight hundred. You yeah, false it was an automatic DQ. You DQ. Yeah, yeah, That's they don't ridiculous. play. Ridiculous! That is so stupid. Yeah. <sighs> totally. I, there must be a reason that they've had to do that. Okay, let me see. You're kind of quiet. Can you get the mic closer to you, or? or um, uh, am I quiet? I don't know. Now it sounds like you're scratching. Oh, my headphones are down. That shouldn't affect the microphone, though. Oh, my God. How about that? No, that's worse. Yeah, but, but wait, maybe it maybe it silenced you a little bit because of the noise. How about now? Probably. Worse. <sighs> how about now? <laughs> headphones are supposed to make life easier. What's Why up is it so quiet? I got this, I, I'm just a soft-spoken dude. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Just, 
keep to yourself on the yeah. podcast <laughs> for the entire <laughs> universe to listen to. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's, it, is it going to be doable? Are you going to pick it up or? Yeah, I've got, um, audio balancing software. Wait, you talk, I got a little leveler here. Let me see what it says. You talk. Okay. Um, happy uh, to be back for round yeah. two. That sounds pretty, I think it's about the same. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll try and speak into the mic. Oh like my God. This. No, Thank you. <laughs> don't do that. Yeah. So, so anyway, uh, last couple shows have been great, dude. Nice, oh, thanks, nice. man. Which which one did you like? Uh, let's see. I, I remember. Uh, well, the, the one lady. the interview with Danny was was really amazing. Oh, the uh, the fat metabolism. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy, that, isn't it? Yeah, it's got my. I mean, you know, we we seem to operate on this like, oh, how am I going to get used to two fifty to three hundred calories per hour for you know twelve hours, and mm-hmm. it's just overwhelming. And then she's like, well, no. <laughs> not necessary <laughs> yeah. you know we have these assumptions in the sport just because we've always done it that way kind of like with your flat pedal thing it's like well that's what you do oh my gosh yeah so well wait to the metabolism thing i'm gonna try for a little bit eating uh coconut chips you could buy just coconut chunks right but mm-hmm. you can buy i guess dried out coconut chips and snack on those and they're high in um i mean Pretty much all the calories come from fat and from instant right. tea oil. And then the other calories are super slow, long burn from uh, the fiber. They're crazy high in fiber. And um, so instead of eating potato chips, you could eat coconut chips. It'd be kind of cool. Between that and all the UCAN stuff you're doing, that, that could move the needle. Um, yeah, the UCAN is really fascinating. I've gotten to the point now where that's what I take before I go swim for an hour. And I have no bonk, nothing. So, how how far before you hit the pool? Because um, you take it, I take it um, as I'm about to head out the door, and then it's 30 minutes before I'm in the water. Okay, yeah. okay, cool. Hey, congrats! I saw your tweet on the uh, you did an Ironman swim in an hour in the pool with your the whole bilateral breathing bilateral. thing. Bilateral, and then on, tell, tell me about that. If people uh, want to, <laughs> I'm glad you. Brought it. It's almost like we planned this. The uh, if you want to, you can go whatever day that was. Um, and today is, so that would have been Friday the 28th, because today's the 30th. 30th. You can look at my tweets. They won't show up because they're at tweets, you know? So you mm. have to go to my Twitter feed and look at, um, at this guy that I'm arguing with that I eventually had to block him because he started, he said, um, I would say he was like really name calling, but a couple of times he got kind of ugly mm. and said something was asinine. And I go, I got better. I'm 43 years old now, and I don't have to listen to people call me asinine. And so, <laughs> and in Zen, they, the art of saying no, you know. And I was like, I'm just gonna block it. I had, I got my. That's the, that's the ultimate. You get in your last word, and then the next thing, the very th- last part of your sentence. You type is and blocked like that, and then you block him. <laughs> it's like a mic drop moment, right? Yeah, and then like you got you got in the last word your argument. I don't know what he said after that because I was gone. <laughs> I couldn't hear him. But um, if uh, so, bilateral swimming straightens out your um, uh, stroke, and the problem is uh, the very good argument against it is well, you don't get enough oxygen, right? Um, because you, you're not breathing every time on one side. And 
what I did was I actually drew a graph, and it's in my tweet at one point to this guy. Um, and there's nothing wrong with the guy. He was just arguing what he thought was true. But it goes back to what you were saying with believing what is uh, just been told and said without actually investigating or doing a scientific investigation. And if, um, yes, you should definitely breathe every time on one side, uh, zone three and up, definitely. If you go out That's and fair. jog and uh, um, and bike, if you go run and bike and get into zone three, time your breathing. And your breathing is about every three seconds or something like that. And right. um, if you time that with your stroke, it's about the same as uh, every time on the right side or left side, whatever. Um, single-sided breathing. Um, once you drop down to zone two, your breathing's more like every five seconds. And, okay. And uh, maybe four and a half to five. And if you... Um, time that with breathing, alternating breathing, bilateral breathing, breathing on your right. For people that don't know, it's breathing on your right, stroke on your right, left stroke, right stroke, then breathe on your left as you take a stroke, right stroke, left stroke, then breathe on your right. And the whole point is, is why would you, um, why would you do that? And it's because when you lift your head, even just twist your head barely to the side to breathe, it causes drag. And I'm going to get the number wrong. Water is 700 times thicker than water, something like that. So any amount of drag in the water is bad. Mm -hmm. And so if you can minimize it, that's great. But the thing you need more than anything is oxygen. So you don't want to compromise oxygen. But if you do the math, and I made a graph, and I showed, I spent a long time trying to figure this out like how to graph it, the curves of when bilateral, um, uh, the speeds at which it becomes, the, the efforts at which it becomes not useful anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and, oh, uh, the, uh, so after a certain point, after you start getting into high, high zone twos, low zone three, you start needing to breathe more, and then now you're just cutting yourself off. You can't swim as fast as you need. Because you're not mm -hmm. breathing as much. You're going hypoxic is what they call it. Probably black right. out. And, um, and then you need to do um, one single-sided breathing to get in enough air because now your, your effort is up and you're burning through oxygen at a higher rate. And this guy <clears throat> was like, well, I can't even think of some of the arguments he was saying. But, you know, this is ridiculous. You, um, and I said, well, it's like on the bike or on the run, you know, measure how many times you breathe. It's like, well, oxygen's readily available and on the bike and on the run. And I'm like, well, if you don't need to breathe as often because you're going, your effort's slow <laughs> enough, it doesn't matter if it's available or not. And then he was like, well, everybody that's fast that I've ever heard of is uh, single-sided breathing. And I said, yes, everybody that's fast that you've ever heard of is single-sided breathing. These people are all in the Olympics. <laughs> and they are not in zone two yeah, when they're in the Olympics. They are in zone four and five, you know, and if you're not, you're not making it to the Olympics. And then I doubt he had data about whether those Olympic athletes uh -huh. bilateral breathed during long, slow sets when they were training. And how fast are their long, slow sets? Right? 
way faster they're than mine. Way fast. They're like super, super fast. Fast enough to qualify for Kona uh, without really trying all that hard. Um, I would say if, now this is, and this is all age grouper based, right? This is not. Sure. Dude, once you get pro, those people are going zone three pretty much the whole time. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Which is crazy. Swim, maybe, uh, maybe some zone two, maybe, I guess. I don't know. But they're going pretty freaking hard. So, because um, they can, because they train all day. And yeah, just below their, like, the equivalent of an mm-hmm. FTP test. But if right? you're an age grouper and you're trying to keep things mellow so that you last as long as you can before you explode, before you bong, zone two is a nice place to be. You try to get as fast as you can in zone two. Right, through okay. efficiency. Yeah. And, okay, now the thing is, is. The craziest thing is in super fast short swimming in the Olympics, in the 50 meter, I looked at the survey, uh, they were interviewing the top swimmers. They go, how, what's, how often do you breathe when doing a 50 uh, meter sprint? <laughs> Dude, nine, like out twice. Of, nine out of 10 was none. <laughs> right? But that goes to show they hold their breath to keep their head down because it's so much faster. Right. You do not want to breathe. You don't want to lift your head unless you have to. Okay, so anyway, we go back to the... Um, I made this graph, and it's on Twitter. I posted it, maybe even Instagram. But I posted it, a graph of the... Suddenly, bilateral breathing has such a diminishing rate of return where it's not useful. Um, because you're, you're starting to need to breathe more. Uh, and then for a long time... Harder and harder efforts, uh, single-sided breathing is very useful. Um, but there's an overlap where single-sided, where um, bilateral breathing is faster than single-sided breathing. Just a tiny bit of overlap, right? Because okay. um, at the edge of, of uh, needing to breathe single-sided because you're going that hard, you're, you're having to lift your head. Well, you're lifting your head is causing drag, which is slowing you down, and you're not quite putting out the effort yet to, to um, go to overcome that extra drag speed-wise. So it's actually a little bit slower. Um, and then I get what you're saying. If you increase effort just a little bit more, then all of a sudden you know your speed uh, is more valuable and, and it's overcoming the extra drag uh, from from a single sided breathing. But anyway, there's like a, there's like an overlap just a tiny bit, maybe like 2%, 5% where single sided breathing, the top end of single sided of a bilateral breathing is just a tiny bit is faster than a single sided breathing. And the more you train at it and the more you straighten out the, your stroke and the more you, you relax, the faster that will get. And I've been working on it and I got mine, um, up to the point of, of a full Ironman swim at one hour on the dot. Um, uh, swimming, swimming bilateral, trying to keep relaxed and just keeping it even. And um, uh, So in the past, just as a direct yeah. comparison, when you were doing just standard right side breathing mm-hmm. and you would do a 42.50, were you at about an hour before? Um, I mean, because really, yes. really, you have to compare with yourself. Yes, but I was struggling to make it an hour. I so see. my my heart rate is in zone three, and I'm pushing it pretty good, you know, moderate to make to make an hour. 
And with the and oh, and he this guy was saying, and I'm I'm really not trying to you know harp on this guy or anything like that. I'm, he's got valid points, right? Because everybody's going to be saying this. But what about this? And what about that? He said, well, what about you know, you're limiting oxygen. And it's like, well, if I was limiting oxygen, I wouldn't have been able to swim for an hour. <laughs> right. I'm like, I am very much just, uh, you could limit oxygen for a little while, but eventually it's going to, you know, in a minute or two, it's going to catch up with you. So you are definitely just settled in and just cruising along or else you wouldn't be able to do it for an hour. Right. You can't, if you're limited on oxygen, it's just kind of, um, it just wouldn't work. So you didn't uh, get anaerobic. No, no. Um, and then, uh, so I, I'm, uh, but with, yeah, with the, uh, bilateral, if you relax and, and yeah, at first you're actually going to be a bit slower because you're not good at it and your you know, your technique is off and bad technique slows you down. So then the, um, but over a, a few weeks, my bilateral has gotten smooth enough and straight enough where every week I'm, I was getting about an, in an hour, I was getting in about another 50 yards out of it, hmm. you know, and, um, maybe, yeah, maybe about 50 yards. And then, um, just like clockwork, I swimming, uh, relaxed and, uh, just smooth and working on just smooth and even, um, uh, I just showed up at the wall and I'd done it in an hour and I'm wearing uh, a really accurate watch. It's got every single lap on there. Nothing's wrong. I didn't miss a lap or anything like that. 42.75 in one hour and like nine seconds or something like that. So wow. you, you subtract, you know, some time and, a, and a, you know, half a lap and then boom, <laughs> you're at 42.50. I was, I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, holy crap. And as I was doing it, I have a counter on my watch that beeps on a minute 25. Yeah. And that's the interval you need to do for, um, to do this, a uh, minute 25 per 100. And so I was hitting the wall every... Consistently. Yeah. Actually, I was, I was starting to beat it, the, the, better, the more smooth I got. And that's nice. all without stopping to refuel, not stopping to drink, and on UCAN, back to the original thing that you mentioned. Um which is a very slow burn carb. And nice. I finished feeling like I'd done a yoga session actually is what really? I thought. Yeah. So now's a really great time for you to plug your uh, Zen tribe discount code for you can the sponsor. Oh, yeah. Okay. Let's see. Where is it? I think it's Zen, Zen try. Is it? I think it's just Zen try. I have to look it up. So It'd be um, great if you could get them and Amrita to have the same discount code. I know. <laughs> Somebody told me my Amrita discount code is not working. Oh, but on that note, I get out of the pool and I shower up. I'm still not hungry. <laughs> uh, my watch says I've burned like 800 calories or something like that. Jeez. And then um, <clears throat> uh, other metrics are like nine strokes per lap. Somewhere between, it's like eight and a half strokes per lap. Um, that's one side, right? So mm-hmm. it's really like 18. It's between like 17 and 18. And then, um, uh, people, if, if y'all want to improve your swim time, set a timer on your watch, um, for your goal, your target pace for 100s and have it beep. And every time you do a 50 or 100, you try to meet that beat and you can hear it underwater and you can just keep going and keep going and learn to pace yourself. 
and what that pace feels like and how to settle in. And um, then you do that for a week and then remove a half a second or a second. And nice. then um, you, it's barely perceptible, but um, it forces you to speed up just a tiny, tiny bit. Yeah, um, so the event that I did, um, I was a little surprised to see that while I met my goal, mm-hmm. um, spoiler alert, <laughs> um, it went really well. But I was surprised to see that my pace per hundred because mm-hmm. I use a Garmin, I use a Garmin nine ten, so I got the GPS and mm-hmm. I get distance and pace and all that. And um, I was very surprised to see that, in spite of being in a wetsuit in salt water, my pace was a couple seconds slower than like some of the longer distance stuff that I would do in the pool by itself. Because you always hear about like, oh, wetsuits make you faster. Well, I didn't have the wall to push off. I swim in a standard 24, 25 short course yard pool, yeah. and flip turns are quick. So mm-hmm. I'm wondering if um, my my pace in open water with a wetsuit was slower, even yeah. though I met my goal. Um, and it was the same pace as I had done previously in the 70.3s for half the distance. So it was mm-hmm. a success because I was able to go twice as far at the same pace as I had before I started this project. That's pretty good. Yeah, it was so pretty there's things you got to look at, like, okay, so uh, was the swim measured long? Was it um, choppy? Did you, um, and then, yeah, you're so many, dude, oh, there's no way around it for so many of us, me included, uh, 25 yard pool is all I got, you know? So yeah. you get out and you start swimming in a lake and all you've been doing is a 25 yard pool. Your shoulders just go, oh my God. Cause you're so used to that break. And, yeah. And, um, every, what well, <laughs> every like 25 seconds. <laughs> well, for you. You get a nice break, <laughs> you know, and it's like, oh my God, this is crazy. So, yeah. um, one way around that is a drag shoot. Like we've, I think we talked about that, didn't we? Did you try a drag shoot? I did not. You mentioned it, but yeah. it was right so, before the event. I didn't have any time to modify a, anything up. A drag shoot will pretty much double the time it takes for you to get across the pool. So it's almost terrible. <laughs> well, but it, it kind of changes your 25 yard pool almost into a 50 yard pool, you know? Um, oh, interesting. Sure. You know, in a weird way. Um, anyway. So, okay, was the water choppy? Oh, what was the race again? Okay, so this was, it was called the Catfish Swim. It was supposed to be in a reservoir. Uh And a couple weeks before, we had had some hot weather in California, so they moved it out to Berkeley because the water conditions in the reservoir were disgusting. Uh So it was at the Berkeley Marina, Mm 2.4-mile swim. And then you had the option of paying a couple extra dollars, and they threw on a a three-and-a-half-mile run at the end. Mm -hmm. So I, I did that. (laughs) <laughs> like, why wouldn't you, right? Yeah. <laughs> I want to get my $100 worth, so I want the, so. Um, so we've gone we from had, fresh water all of a sudden to salt water. Right. Yeah. Um, it, the, it ended up a couple hundred yards short. So if you mm-hmm. believe the GPS, um, it was just about 200 yards short. Which which, which GPS were you wearing? Which one? Uh, the, ni- the 910 XT. The Garmin 910. 910. Not a 920, a 910. No. Right. Hmm. And then 910's a little bit bigger. That adds a little bit of drag. Yeah, it's Probably the like same a thing second or so. pool. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then, um, oh, yeah, what was the chop like? Uh, did, I, did I send you a pic? I don't know if I, I, I texted. So. Anyway, let's just, let's just start from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I um, 
had no coconut milk or almond milk in the morning, so the plan of starting out with some steel-cut oats mm-hmm. <laughs> didn't happen because I didn't want to do it with just water. So um, I fueled with maltodextrin in the morning, and I got um, one – I don't remember which bar I had, but I had one uh, one bar, and then the plan was to have – a caffeine goo about 15 to 20 minutes before the start. And that was it. And mm. turned out to be just enough. Cause I didn't want just liquid. Right. One of my biggest concerns was the cold. And yeah. so the very first thing I did when we got down there and we got down there with plenty of time to spare was I walked down to the dock and put my hand in the water and instantly that worry went away. I couldn't believe it. It was almost 70 degrees. It was nice. like I put normally when you put your hand in San Francisco Bay, it's like, uh, yeah, I'm not, going to do this but mm-hmm. it was actually very comfortable i look out over the water and the marina was almost dead calm like you could water ski on it yeah. i was really impressed so um tip of the oh, day yeah was, you did send me a picture it looked like a mirror yeah it was like <laughs> with the sun coming up over the it was like are you kidding me this yeah. is like this is the ocean well what mm-hmm. i mean it's not it's the bay but yeah. um so i was had this small list of things I was concerned about, right? Mm-hmm. I was worried about um, impact from a mass start. I was worried about um, the temperature of the water. I was worried about the wetsuit being so tight. Remember we talked about me giving myself a wedgie, get that really up there so I yeah. free up the shoulders. Remember that? Yeah. Um, oh, did you a do a sleeved or a sleeveless? I only have a sleeve. I have a Blue 70 Helix suit, okay. and did, it's the only one I own. Did your arms get tired towards the end? Fight, no, fighting the no. sleeves. Okay, good. No, we'll we'll get to that. I was like, I, I I got through the halfway point, and I was like, this. I feel like we're just getting started. It was amazing. Oh, so wait, um, so that's a seven. Uh, what's the brand? And Blue model? seventy. Blue seventy. And they're and it's a helix. Okay, so people need to know that so that if they're looking for a sleeved wetsuit, it didn't bother your arms. No, um, it has or anything like that. The main chest panel is actually split into two and has some little stretchy right in between it. So it gives really well when you're reaching. So, um, I got it a couple years ago for just under 700. So it's not like they're, it's not like crazy expensive, but it's definitely, yeah, they make more expensive. Yeah. But it's, it's not an entry level. Mm -hmm. It, it was in my budget. So that's what I did. Okay. Um, so I had all these concerns Mm-hmm. <laughs> but talking to you before, I was like, okay, you're right. You can't change anything now. Can't. Yeah. Um, and just as a reminder, I had used Dan on slow twitch has this, uh, guppy program. It's 10 weeks. It's three to five swims a week. And you just follow the plan. It's about 2000 yards each. Uh-huh. And I was doing, so I was doing six to 8,000 yards a week. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're faster than me, then he's got a second one, uh, the tarpon challenge, which I've kind of started on that now. Cool. Um, which is more like 3,000 yards at a, at a shot. But I just kind of like ground away at it. Um, is that, so my number one do you, um, I haven't been on there. Do you, do you reply and like, is there like a forum where you kind of chat about that kind of stuff with, um, you as you're doing questions. that program? Yeah, he did. I think he's put up, you know, started it over mm-hmm. a couple of times, like with a couple of years in between, but all you got to, you can find this on the Google, no mm-hmm. problem. And okay. I just downloaded all 10 PDFs. It's free. Um, I had some questions and when I put them up on slow twitch, I got responses, mm-hmm. but it's, it's really straightforward stuff. Um, there's, you know, base set with drills and then there would be a main set of either, you know, 10 by a hundred on an interval or 
once in a while there'd be a longer thousand yard time trial to kind of dial in your interval. Um, it mixes it up really well. Like one of the ones was three, two breathing. So breathe every third stroke followed by every two strokes, you know, so mm. left, right, left, left, right, left, you know, so there was some pattern work, mm -hmm. just a few, there's a lot of creative things that were built into it. And it was without having a real coach or it just gave me something to work from. Right. So, um, I show uh, up, I put my, well, I want to say, uh, people that are, um, so, People that are listening and thinking about Ironman swimming or half Ironman, the the swims are so long that you got to train. You can't do swim team. You could. You can kind of do swim team, regular swim team training and swim team workouts for this stuff. But you'll show up and, and uh, race day be. Uh, you'll swim about five minutes into the thing. You'll be exhausted because the longest thing you've done is five minutes. You know, without taking yeah. a break, probably maybe a 500, maybe like eight, 10 minutes or something like that. And then, um, because it, and dude, and swimming a 500 is like the biggest thing that you do most of the time. And, uh, so what you do is kind of like what you're saying is you do long stuff. Um, but then you, you add variety in it. Right. And that keeps you from getting bored. Yeah. Yeah. And so there was there was a lot of like short fast fifties to dial in form, but mm -hmm. there was also some longer intervals. It was a good mix. It mm -hmm. wasn't designed to be an Ironman swim prep program in any way. Yeah. It was just um, it was just something I found, and it had the structure and it had the time commitment that I wanted, which was about forty minutes of workout. And that yeah. was that's good enough. That was, and I figured somebody smarter than me put it together, so I'm just going to go for it. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> like, I mean, the whole point of this was to become a better swimmer, and right. uh, the the event itself was felt like a victory lap, you know, because I had done what was in my control, and race day is never in your control. There's right. just things you can't Absolutely. predict. So, yeah, um, I went into it very zen, mm -hmm. if you will, about it. Um, what's mm -hmm. really interesting is if you recall the last interview, um, I had said, "Oh yeah, well, I've got these new goggles, so I'm sure it won't fog." My number one problem the entire day was fogging goggles, even really? though they were new. New goggles. And, and they Let me tell you why. Yeah. Um, I like to put my swim cap on, like put on my goggles first and then put the swim cap on. Yeah. Because I don't want to get them knocked off. Okay. So while I was waiting, because I had put them on, I put my goggles up on my forehead. Mm -hmm. And they steamed up while they were there and they never cleared. Yeah. I could see that happening. And I don't know whether... They steam up from your body heat. And then when right. you hit the cold water, the steam stays inside. Yep. Um, the, the humid air, and so they just keep And I didn't fogging. want to rinse them because it was salt water. And yeah. I didn't want to get salt water in my So eyes. the humid air on the inside condenses against the cold air, the, the cold goggle lenses, because the, the bay water's colder. Yeah. And the water condenses against those, and that's... Yeah, you, you could just... Uh, yeah, you could have... Um, you weren't in contacts? I forgot. No. No, I, yeah. I do for regular life but they're not bad enough that i need them uh, so you okay so you could have rinsed them out and then you probably would have been okay right so yeah. i had set my watch to give me an alert mm -hmm. um at oh and it makes matters worse as i was also wearing a neoprene cap mm. That's kind i of had warm. the blue the blue 71 <laughs> and i'm like i did we had talked about ice cream headache and i'm like i'm not gonna do that we're just uh, yeah, that's we'll, true. we'll wear it and because I didn't want to use double caps or mm -hmm. so anyway. So then that may it would have been extra hard to rinse the goggles once I got started because it yeah. was underneath all the, all that chaos. So we wait, we jump in the water and we're kind of at it's kind of a 
it's an open water start, but we can stand. So mm. when I was standing, the water was up to like mid chest. So mm. I was able to like standing kind of in the mud and the muck right there. But I was waiting for that cold water down the back zipper mm-hmm. to kind of give me that initial chill. And the water came in and it was never, I, I was never cold. That's it was all just the people peeing around you. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. Like, gosh, this water sure got warm around me. <laughs> but um, that's also another reason not to rinse out your goggles near all those people. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Kind of yellow in my goggles. Yeah. Nice. That's a visual image for you. Yeah. Um, so there were about 30 people. They started all the 2.4 mile swimmers first, whether or not they were going to run. So there was about 30 people. About four of them were wetsuit free because mm-hmm. they had a they had a non wetsuit division. But there was there was about 30 people at that start, mm-hmm. and then there was probably 40 or 50 people in the 1.2 mile swim. And mm-hmm. those people started five minutes after we did. So they let us get started first. Mm-hmm. Um, so I positioned. I got a picture. When my buddy took a picture, I'm in the back on the right. I'm like, there is no glory making it to the first buoy, and I'm not giving up. I'm not. I'm willing to give up an extra 30 seconds to just not have that contact at the oh, beginning. Oh, yeah, no. yeah. So I had set my watch to go off, give me an alert every 500. Well, this is where not practicing um, kind of got to me, because by wearing the neoprene head uh, hood, mm-hmm. I, I missed, like, half the the alerts so i lost track what do you mean the alerts? because like the i couldn't hear them oh it'll vibrate and make a noise well in the oh. midst of everything that was going on yeah so i heard the first one and it was right before the first buoy mm-hmm. and um i never heard the second one yeah and then i heard the third i think but anyway i started to lose track because you know you just kind of put your head down and get in a groove and every mm-hmm. now and then you look for the buoy and you keep going so i get to the first I get to the first this is lap. So classic. <laughs> well, anyway, and you practice everything in the pool, and then under race conditions, just freaking steering wheel goes out the window, <laughs> and it's like, hold on. Uh, what's it, what's yeah. that quote? No, no strategies. No strategy survives its first encounter with the enemy. Yeah, Have first heard contact. That? It's over. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, so, um, so a couple things. Looking at your watch. Uh, one trick you can, people can practice in the pool is rolling over on their back and doing some backstroke for a second. And you can see your watch while you're still moving. Okay. Um, and then another thing is practicing looking at your watch while swimming, um, to your side, you know, kind of while swimming freestyle Mm -hmm. is is a, um, I do it because I'll swim and then I kind of want to see, I need to get out of the pool at a certain time. And so I kind of keep my eye on the time. And doing so while swimming, I consider it, I'm doing double, you know, double duty training. I'm kind of, sure. um, you're, you're doing a, like, yeah, like a 2.4 mile race swim and you want to see if you're halfway through yet, you know, cause you're trying to meter out your energy, pra- having practice looking at your watch while swimming, um, is a nice skill to, uh, yeah, that would have been really awesome if my mm-hmm. goggles hadn't been fogged up. There's that. Sounds like the perfect storm. Yeah. So the other, the other thing with the goggles, um, the fastest way to get your goggles, uh, you know, you, you dip your head underwater and uh, lift your goggles up while they're underwater. Just pull them away from your face a little bit. Water rushes up in there. And then lift your face up above water. And then with your thumbs, pull the bottoms of the goggles away from your eyes. And okay. water will run out, right? 
Mm-hmm. And um, then when you open your eyes, your goggles are clear and right. you've defogged your goggles, sort of. Um, you can push them up on your forehead a little bit while you're doing all that. And then um, uh, uh, you won't, you know, get water all in your eyes and stuff like that. And then you won't lose your cap either. But it's a skill. Like, you just practice it. Sure. Well, yeah. and we'll get to it. But it probably would have saved me more time um, than it would have taken to do it. because. Oh, definitely. On, and and yeah. we'll get there because on route, the one time I had to stop was because I was going off course. Mm-hmm. And we'll get to that. That's lap two. Okay. But basically, there was very minimal com- contact at the beginning. Yeah. Um, Really? They were the, good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Very little. Um, again, I was on the outside edge, but you know, I'm kind of tracking along. I breathe left, which is why I lined up right. Uh-huh. Um, I'm left handed. Keep an eye on everybody. And yeah. And I kind of like kept an eye and just kind of getting in a groove. And I have found in training that I really do warm up after a thousand yards. That's really uh-huh. when I kind of get into a groove mm-hmm. and sure enough. And so at the beginning I'm like, okay, this is, this is stressful. There's anxiety. The heart rate's elevated. But I just kind of, because I had done some of these longer intervals, I knew that when I hit 1,000, I'd be cool. Yeah. And sure enough, when I got to the second buoy, which was about about 1,000, mm-hmm. I kind of found a zone. And at that point, there was nobody really near me, and I was able to keep going on my pace, and everything just kind of relaxed. So I get through um, lap one exactly at 37 minutes. Okay. Which was... That's good. Yeah, I was totally happy with that. Mm-hmm. Oh, hang on a second. Here, Tina. And, um, but that kind of worried me because I didn't think I was going all that hard. And so I'm like, um, I'm either way ahead of schedule because the goal was to be at 40 minutes. And here I am coming in at 37. And that's when I realized, and I had, hadn't heard any alerts and, or very few. So I didn't know. And I couldn't really see the distance on my watch. And I'm like, well, okay, I guess we're on pace. Um, but I got really excited because at that effort, I knew that even if, since the goal was to break 120, mm-hmm. I knew I, w- I was on pace and I didn't feel like I had been really pushing it. So that was a real shot of adrenaline for mm-hmm. me. And even though there weren't very many people behind me at that point, this was definitely a, you know, a me versus me thing. Yeah. Um, I got caught by the leaders of the 1.2 mile race, <laughs> mm-hmm. right about the like the middle of the first lap. You know, there's just some there's yeah. just some people that know how to swim, and yeah. but I was not right in the. They were probably single sided breathing. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Um, so then, second lap. It's yeah. interesting because if you look at the the map that my Garmin produced at the end, mm-hmm. I got off course the same place both laps. And what it was, was there was, because my goggles were fogged, what I would do is when I'd round a buoy, I would find the buoy, but then I'd find a reference point behind it that was bigger, like mm-hmm. a building, or like as you're coming into the final stretch, you're coming back to the marina, there was a really tall sailboat. And so I wouldn't try and sight the buoy, I would try and sight that sailboat or the building. Right. Well, on this one leg, there was nothing. There was nothing oh, to sight. Yeah, and so, so kind of I would, yeah. And it, the only time other than the halfway point where I had to actually like stop was because a kayak is like, dude, you got to go that way. So, <laughs> oh, okay. And I could totally, I could totally see it on the map. There's like almost a right angle turn. I'm like, oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah. I was, I, I really, it's I bad news I, when it's a kayak that's not even involved in the race. 
you find yourself stand up paddler out. In the yeah, you're somewhere. so off course. That people are like, are you okay? The race? Are I, you in that race that's over there? And you're like, oh yeah, yeah, sorry. yeah. No, it, it, he he caught me pretty quick. So yeah. it's just a little blip in the in the map. But so I I I round the last buoy, and that's when the excitement started to happen because I knew, oh dude, I've only got 500 yards to go. This is gonna be great. But I thought I saw somebody behind me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, there's no way after two point something miles, I'm going to get past. Because <laughs> even though it wasn't really a race, it yeah. was. Yeah, it's fun. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's I a race within a race. Di- yeah. So I yeah. kind of dialed up the intensity a little bit for the last 500 and felt like I really had gas in the tank. It was going mm-hmm. well. Um, and I got to the end and they had this little floating dock next to the dock and there were people on it and they were dragging people up. Have you ever seen something like that where it's yeah. like an inflatable and then they just grab your arms and they pull you on and you yeah. slip up. And so I did that and they're like, don't get up. I'm like, why? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm really glad they said that because they had me crawl from that foam thing onto the main dock. And yeah. then there was somebody there to help me stand up because the I had never done anything this long before. And by the way, I finished in 114. So exactly Man, that's good. double the 37. Yeah. Um, so very even again, pacing. Yes. And so even though it's probably 200, it was like 200 short, I still broke my, my target goal of 120. All right. We need to mention you can, you can is a super starch. This is really cool stuff. It's a super slow acting carbohydrate, almost to the point of your body doesn't know what it's doing. It's like we're getting energy from somewhere else is happening. And it's really great for swimming. You want to go swim for an hour and not be needing to, uh, you know, take sips from a bottle on the side. You know, coach hits you over the head with a kickboard like my coach used to do. Quit jacking around. Get back in the water. Quit being lazy at the wall. Keep on swimming. And you can do this, especially in races, right? You're going to do an Ironman. You're going to be in the water for an hour. You're doing a half Ironman. You're going to be in the water for half an hour plus. You're, uh, you're going to be going and going and going. You don't have a chance to, to drink or, or uh, refuel out there. You can't drink out of a bottle while you're swimming. Well, you kind of can with UCAN because UCAN is a very, very slow drip carbohydrate. And so it slowly releases into your system. So you can kind of preload with this stuff before you're going to do something long. It also kind of saves uh, your teeth from all that sugar, right? Because you can power this stuff down. It's actually pretty easy to drink. And then you have energy for like an hour, hour and a half from this stuff. This is really cool. So it comes in different flavors. You have chocolate. Uh, you have some stuff with some protein added in if you want that. And uh, some electrolytes added in if you want that. And they also have uh, orange, tropical punch, and all this different stuff. All this different stuff. And so what I do is I get up in the morning. I drink uh I have a little bit, a little bit of breakfast, a little tiny little bit of breakfast, some coffee, and then uh, right before I leave to go to the pool, I drink a bottle of UCAN uh, pretty quickly, and then uh, by the time I get to the pool, you got your energy, you feel nice and good, a slow release, and it just works, man. It's really amazing, and it's actually helped me break the habit of needing uh, sugar by the side of the pool. I think I've pretty much turned around, pretty positive. I've turned around my uh, needs for uh, sugar by using UCAN. I've become much less sugar dependent and way more uh, fat enhanced metabolism going on. And I did it through using UCAN. Uh, The latest thing that I've done with it is um, two, well, 
One time I did it uh, half the swim, but my latest was I did a full swim, nonstop butterfly for one hour after drinking you can, three thousand one hundred and fifty yards, nonstop, all butterfly, drinking you can. The uh, before I got to the pool, chocolate fl- flavored was what I did, and I just swam uh, easy, smooth, and did the whole thing. It's all I posted the workout. You can go check it out. <laughs> It was crazy, and I plan on doing it more because it was actually fun. It actually wasn't even all that hard. I just kept it easy, and you can do the same kind of stuff, a long, continuous workout, hour, hour and a half, without needing the fuel by pre-fueling with UCAN. Check it out. You go to UCAN, uh, webs- UCAN's website, and they have uh, the opportunity for you to put in a discount code. If you use discount code ZENTRI, Z-E-N-T-R-I, all caps, you can get it 15% off. How about that? That's pretty cool. And then they turn around and send a little bit this way to Zentri itself. And, man, if that's not a good advertisement for these guys, this stuff works. It's awesome. I love it. You can get a discount. You can support Zentri. Get on it. Get on it. Break all that sugar. Break that habit, man. Get on something that's a little bit better for you with some you can. All right, let's get back to the episode. Here we go. I put my knee underneath me and then I put a foot down and I try to stand up and there was, I'm glad there was somebody to catch me because I would have fallen right back in the water <laughs> from being horizontal for over yeah. an hour to standing up. I mean, you've done it multiple yeah. times, right? It's, oh yeah. And so I was like, Oh, it's funny when you I come do? out of the water, you have to guard yourself. It takes one or two experiences of this. To One time you're kind of like, this is a flute. The second time you're like, okay, this is a thing where the overly <laughs> enthusiastic people helping you out like in an Ironman, you know, because there's still a whole lot more racing to go. And so right. they're like, come on, come on. And they grab you and they start pulling you out of the water and you are not ready to go that fast yet. Right. And so people kind of stumble around all dizzy, like they're going to pass out. And then also they'll um, tear your $700 wetsuit <laughs> because there's the wetsuit strippers, the people that pull yeah. their, your wetsuit off. And I've, I've had to tell people, whoa, Slow down. <laughs> yeah. And they got nails. Yeah. And I've got fingernail tears in my um in one of my wetsuits from people doing that, from pulling yeah. it off so fast. Right. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. So at that point, um basically the work is done because yeah. I had no expectations for the run and a three and a half mile run is just more of a So yeah, know, whatever. so you ran a five K plus after after setting your PR on a swim. Right. And one of the reasons why I felt it was important to do that is if this was just to kind of have the experience of what's it like to do an Ironman swim event, Mm -hmm. I didn't want to just finish the swim and sit down. I wanted to know what, how does my body react after doing this for the next step? That was kind of the thinking behind doing that. And I'm glad I did that because, you know, I'm sitting down and pulling off the wetsuit, pulling on some running shorts and shoes and took off for the run. And I had planned you know, water in a goo mm. in the AIDS, you know, in, in the transition. And I found my body is not accepting food right away. So yeah, if I were you know, to that's, do... That's interesting. They say that in races. Um, start eating on the bike about 20 minutes yeah. after, after you get on the bike because your heart's racing so hard after swimming that hard that... Um, you just can't, you shouldn't even try to eat anything. It's just not a good formula. That's interesting. Well, I'm really glad that I kind of 
tested that out because mm-hmm. now I totally know that if I was to sign up for a 140.6, I would already know, okay, bike nutrition starts 10 miles in or, you know, yeah, it's about don't, 20 minutes. don't, yeah. So don't yeah. expect fueling straight out of the gate and mm-hmm. that's okay. You know, it's just kind of, it's no longer a question. What, and so the run was one guy passed me. Um, but other than that, it was uneventful. Um, wow, only I was one guy. That's well, cool. But there was very few people behind me by that point. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, still. So, in fact, in my age group, in my division, there were three people and one DNF'd on the first lap. So I got second place in my division out of three. Wow, that's pretty good. And how old and are you? What what age group are you in? I'm 48. So I was in the so, 45 to 49. All those people out there that think that they can't um, pick up the swim, it's uh, totally untrue. It's just a yeah. little bit more difficult as an adult. But there's all these programs out there. There's uh, swim teams. There's online uh, swimming programs. Masters. Masters. Um, you can uh, just hear it over and over and over again with pros that came from a cycling or a college uh, track you know, background. Yeah, and they can't swim to save their lives, <laughs> but it can it can and be then, taught. And then in two years or a year, they are, you know, swimming faster than me. They're swimming fifty five, you know, fifty, fifty two, right. something like that. So yeah, you just Jeez. proved you you had just a a really big improvement. And um, I mean, the difference in is about there, right. It's like four a, months of training. Even four months. It was just four months. Yeah. Of consistency and yeah. and uh, so I mean the thing, like 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 that's obvious from from our talking is you know like dude if you could swim open water I coach some people that you know they live near a lake and they open water swim once a week yeah you know can you imagine like oh my gosh that'd be so great yeah um, well and I've got access I just don't have the desire and purpose like I yeah. I would. You know, if I had somebody, I could go up to San Francisco. There's an aquatics, the aquatic park mm-hmm. thing. There's a big swimming thing there. It's, um, it's not close enough to do that yeah. on a, any regular basis. But I could, I could plan it into a training program and yeah. get more than I did this last one. Well, so, and honestly, it's um, sighting. It's the crazy things like fog in the goggles and the. Um, uh, there's something else. Um, oh, swimming in a pack. So like master yeah. swim team, dude. When it gets when it gets like crowded in an open water swim, and people like bumping into each other, instead of getting angry, I get I start having reminiscent feelings of like of <laughs> like high school and middle school. <laughs> I'm like, this is just like it was back when I was a kid. Yay, you know. <laughs> and um, so it's just an exposure thing, right? It's um. Uh, it's a mindset, yeah. Of of the uh, contact and stuff. So they canceled the uh, the Austin seventy point three swim this weekend. Completely heavy fog, and oh, wow. I've been in a race. It was it was a sprint or an Olympic where we were about to start the swim and you could not see, you know, twenty feet. <laughs> no, see that's and I'm like. We're not really doing this, are we, people? And they're like, well, what's the problem? And I'm like, how are you going to – you can't see where you're going, 
So how are you going to know if anybody cuts the course? If somebody starts yelling they need help and you rush out in your little John boat to go save them, hey, watch your mouth. You'll the, take uh, three others out on the way to save you're the You're going to run over like, yeah, like 20 people and then hit them with your prop, you know, trying to um, save somebody that you can't even see. I'm like, this is crazy. You should not do this. This is bad. And then they just yeah. waited a little bit longer and the fog lifted. Yeah. But um, – but that's kind of like swimming with your goggles fogged up. <laughs> it's not the way it's supposed to be, but you get yeah. – it's just a variable you can't control. No. Race day, you just – you it control is an illusion. Yeah, that's true. You can control your own effort right. and your own mindset. And so bottom line, the time was everything I had hoped it would be. The event went awesome. Yeah. Um, I I no longer consider um, the swim to be a significant reason not to sign up for an Ironman. There's enough other reasons involved, but there's <laughs> <laughs> um, like honestly, the new you obviously heard the news about Vine Man getting purchased and moved, and they're uh, um, to Santa Rosa, so that, maybe. Yeah, so it's it's moved to Santa Rosa. Um, the the thing that upsets me is not the venue change. Mm-hmm. I've done I've done the Vine Man seventy point three twice. Yeah, it's not it's not the venue change that upsets me. It's that they're moving into spring, and I give up all those summer months of training. I being fit and ready to go um, by early spring kind of takes it off the calendar for me. Yeah, see, which is too bad. That's the thing. Okay, that's a good point. Where I live. Um, I just did uh, Whistler, which was right. in Canada, which is late summer. It's the end of July. And I had to train through the Texas summer for that. And my right. God, I think I'll, I'm never going to do that again. I about died. That is okay. so insane, right? And right. Ironman Texas, like these early spring race, I get to tra- I get to train all through the winter. And that's nice here. Okay. And what you're talking about is you you do long workouts training for something in heavy heat or like brutal cold. It's not fun anymore. You're no. it, it's so much work and it wears you out and it compromises your recovery time big time. Well, we definitely have the heat like you do. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had we had an entire month of 100 degrees this summer, but mm-hmm. we don't have the humidity, so the heat index is a lot more doable. Like it mm-hmm. does it's cool enough in the morning that if I get out at six, I can get in a four hour bike ride before mm-hmm. things become meltingly difficult. Mm-hmm. If I'm home by 10, it's yes, it's 90, but it's still not the kind of humidity that Texas experiences. Yeah. So, um, the, the WTC empire, um, <laughs> the overlord say, of triathlon. Yes. Um, I don't know where they keep their death star, but, yeah. um, I don't have an issue with them um, helping to standardize. You know, I don't. I was bummed that they bought the big Kahuna in Santa Cruz and turned it into one of their events, but because you know you're going to lose a lot of the individual flavor. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I, I've done a couple and they put on good events. I mean, I can't. If they were that terrible, nobody would sign up. Yeah. So um, I think that next season, I may stop seeing the only thing I want to do is long distance and maybe get some speed back and do some sprints and Olympics instead. 
Yeah. Because you get a lot more flexibility of where you can race and when, and they don't cost quite as much, but you still get, you know, for me, an Olympic is a three hour day and that's, that's yeah. legit. It's not like it's, oh, you're doing the couch to 5k. No, that's, it's a, it's the real deal. When and I'd is, love to get my, well, when is that Morgan Hill triathlon? It's a half Ironman distance. Is that still going on? <sighs> That was so, a tough race, man. That that had yeah. some good. It's flat, but then there's some really good. Uh, oh, yeah. the lake. It's the same lake issue. The lake's all dried yep. up. I bet. Yeah. yeah. So, um, in California, USA Productions puts on a circuit of a number of different events, and they still have a long course seventy point three up in Folsom, which is um, basically it's a suburb, if you will, of Sacramento. So it's yeah. in that area. So there are there are other things out here that can be done. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, I've done way too much long and slow, and I miss feeling like I've got some snap in my legs. Yeah. So I want to, I want to start playing with some intervals and start getting some speed back instead mm-hmm. of just, you know, I'd love to go sub forty five in a in an open ten k. That would be a a great goal, very doable. Um, I haven't picked anything yet. I just don't think that my next thing is to just keep going longer and longer and longer and longer. Yeah. You um, know, a, a fun, a fun uh, race calendar would be so funny is to do like super long, like an Ironman or half Ironman, you know, ultra distance, and then alternate that with like sprint or Olympic. Yeah. Just like half Ironman, sprint. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> You know, good luck and finding then, a uh, Ironman sprint, half Ironman sprint. Like you force <laughs> yourself to do the fast stuff in between, right. as you're, you know, to take a break from the. And then each time you appreciate the other one, you're like, oh my god, this is so much different than what I just did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, it training for a fast five k. Yeah. I don't think most endurance athletes consider that to be a big deal. But I've done that kind of track work in college, mm-hmm. and I'm telling you, you bust out 20 oh, times hard. 400 in 70 seconds, that's mm-hmm. a legit workout. That's yeah. a totally different experience than I – th- I don't think the age groupers put in the interval intensity the way the pros do because yeah. I'm sure the pros are training that hard like all the time. But mm-hmm. I also feel like my strength has dropped off. I picked up a barbell yesterday um, kind of doing that sort of thing and mm-hmm. – Trying to trying to get uh, what's interesting is in the six months of getting ready for this swim, my weight was exactly the same. Mm-hmm. I did not lose a single pound in spite in spite of the fact that I was getting back in shape. Yeah, um, I tend to lose weight when I do intervals and weight work. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. That is a hundred percent true. <laughs> I think I'm losing. You can, you're pacing the house. Oh, oh, am I back? Can you hear me? Hello. Yeah, now you're back. Okay. Yeah, you can um, endurance work. You can easily compensate the calories with just what you eat. Swimming makes me hungry, man. Yeah, uh, swimming's got a little bit of thermo burn because you're in colder water, and to keep your body warm, uh, you burn a little bit of extra calories. And then, um, especially the colder the water, the pool is. Um, my pool that I swim in, that's basically a sauna. I think I'm. Yeah. It's not fun. People that go look at your go look at your pool that you swim in, and I bet you it's probably seventy eight, seventy five, or something like that. If it's a nice competitive pool, my pool because old ladies do jazzercise water aerobics in it, 
Yep. They keep it at 84. Oh, my gosh. 83. That's what I trained in leading up to Tahoe where it's freaking oh 59 or whatever. And they're like, why don't you don't wear a wetsuit? And I go, I, I am not freaking uh, prepared. Dude, I swim in water that's uh, below 70. I freeze. Like within an hour, I'm, I'm uh, dizzy and I'm about to pass out. Like I'm medically in big trouble. Wow. Because it's so hot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or it's cold compared to what I'm used to. Right. But cool, dude. Um, uh, before I let you go, what else you got? What's next? You, you said you're not really sure yet. No, I, I am running a lot more consistently now because I just, I just miss the mileage on the road. That's just kind of, that's running was my first love. So doing that and this season, you know, we're going to be, we're going to have 70 degrees this week. It's Mm -hmm. perfect running weather. It's just cool enough to be comfortable. Um, I've got basically what looks like a CrossFit gym in my garage. So I've got the wall (laughs) balls and kettlebells and pull up bars and squat racks and all that stuff. So I've been doing some of that. Um, I I know that it's it rained today, which was kind of a surprise. But mm-hmm. um, I'm ready to restart my Zwift account so I can get on the bike and the interval trainer. Oh yeah, because um, I got a smart trainer, mm-hmm. so that's going to be that'll be fun. No wait, have you done the that. smart trainer with Zwift? Yes. Okay, what's it like? Um, it's, it's it's creepy because it's like it knows what's going on. Yeah. So um, I don't remember which route it is. Uh, Watopia or whatever, uh-huh. where they've got that hill climb where it's, you know, and you rank yourself against other people for this climb, like how fast can you get to the top? Mm-hmm. Well, as soon as I go from level ground to the incline, mm-hmm. the trainer clamps down. And yeah. I'm like, oh, oh, this is real. So it, <laughs> <laughs> like, and then all of a sudden, this got really real all of a sudden. Yeah. Or yeah. like, then you get on the backside and you start going downhill and all of a sudden you're free spinning and you're like, what the mm-hmm. heck? And so you're like shifting into the big chain ring and you're, yeah. So it, if you got to get stuck in the pain cave, I think a smart trainer is really adds to the experience. Yeah. Um, I know there's a big debate between trainer trainer road versus Swift. I think there's value in both. Yeah. I personally get a lot more. I'm more likely to ride if I'm enjoying it, and Swift makes it fun for me. So yeah. I'm not putting anything scheduled hardcore. I'm keeping my eye out for some Olympics next season. Um, rather than the real long stuff, I'm going to be focusing on getting my FTP up and trying to get mm-hmm. my run, my run, my comfortable zone two pace down. Um, swimming when I feel like it, no real agenda, but don't let it go too long before, you know, if I see, mm-hmm. if it's been a, two weeks, then oops, you know, better get back in there. But I'm not, I'm going to just enjoy being able to do different things and yeah. take it, take advantage of being healthy. So, yeah. Um, if you've got any trips out in California, let me know. I can, oh, I'd man. be happy to put something on the calendar and join you or whatever, but I'm not, I'm not obsessed over any one particular thing. Cool. Um, yeah. one last, one last little thing you might want to throw out. There's, mm-hmm. you know, you hear, I hear so much about math training, you know, this, oh, don't ever do anything faster than zone two and you'll eventually get faster. That just, I struggle to believe that doing nothing but heart mm. rate under 130 will ever give me my leg speed back. Right. I, I so, so the, the best example I've heard of that is, um, let's say you're a, you do that. Now let's say your race you're doing has steep climbs in it. 
right? Yeah. You're going to have to go anaerobic to climb that. There's no other way or else you're going to have to get off your bike and walk. Right. And that is not the fastest way. Right. So, and now a race has something that you haven't trained for and um, it's going to freaking fry your legs. Right. Just one or two hills in because you haven't been doing anaerobic work. So I think right. what people say is, you know, periodize it, you know, do a little bit yeah. of math. It's just nice, you know, to go back and forth. Right. So, well, I'm tired of jogging along at nine minute pace, mm-hmm. but it, when I look at, when I look at some of the results I've had in the last couple of years, mm-hmm. you know, my, my swim pace was 150 per hundred. My biking pace in a, in a 70.3 is 18 and a half to 19. Mm-hmm. My run pace is 930. Well, guess what? Those are the speeds that I train at all the time. So (laughs) what do you think? You get good at where you spend your time, right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's where I'm thinking having some focused uh, run training blocks and kind of get some speed under my legs again, throw some tempo runs in there, Mm -hmm. you know, really, really enjoy um, not just longer stuff, but let's get some snap in the legs. Let's build, yeah. Anyway, so my 150 per 100 in the pool, well, guess what? That mirrors many of the leave intervals that I did over the last six months. Yeah. So maybe I need to be doing longer rest, harder efforts on my sprints, You know, on my intervals. That's really funny. Mike, Mike Ritchie, a really good coach, told me one time uh, to, to guesstimate what you'll do in an Ironman, look at your average speed over all your workouts. <laughs> Oh, well, mine are always pretty much the same. I know, but he's like, it'll probably be right around there, like within just a few seconds. It's like, holy crap, he's right. Um, so well, if you want to go faster, you know, go, go, faster. Your, go faster in your workout. Yeah. yeah, so I think there is some there is an element of if you want to, you know, my run volume, if I want to build my run volume back up to 40 miles a week, if I try and do that, you know, at 730 pace, I will I will destroy myself. So there is something to be said for as you're building volume, you need to keep the effort level um, lower because mm-hmm. the stresses is coming from the volume. Right. But then once my body adapts where 40 miles a week is just like, yeah, no, I'm good. Then you throw in some spice. Exactly. Right? If you're increasing volume, do not increase intensity. In fact, maybe even back it off. In fact, right. that's probably a really good idea. And then if you're decreasing volume... Or if you're increasing intensity, decrease volume. Sure. Um, yeah. If you keep, if you try to increase volume and increase intensity because you're getting all amped because you think you're Superman because you're getting faster, then bam, you're gonna pull an Achilles tendon or something like that. Yeah. Yep. Well, it doesn't take that much. You don't have to do 20 miles a week of interval training. Oh, it no. doesn't take much at all to really kind of kick it into the next level. So that's right. pretty exciting. Yeah, it's very little. All right, man. Well, you're you are running circuits in your house. You've been <laughs> you're pacing like crazy. Oh, you can hear me uh, pacing. I can see you. Do you know the camera's on, right? Oh, look at that. I've seen your entire house like fourteen times. Hey, check it out. You like my minutes. house? I do. Okay. I like your ceiling fans. Look at my. Uh, there's Kona. Oh. And there's our problem child Zoe. Oh, in the cage. In the cage. Nice. She knows her place. Great trained. Yeah, great trained. Oh, I thought, is that where I thought we turned is that where Emily the, um, the camera was on and I didn't see you earlier, so I I thought that. Uh, Are you not seeing me? No, but it's cool. Oh, 
No, oh. I've been pacing because um, you got your car keys in your hand too, I so I get the feeling we're. <laughs> Look at me. I'm supposed to meet well, Emily for dinner. So. All right. Well, and I promised my wife I would uh, rebuild a stool for her, so I got to break out the table saw. Oh. That's kind of fun. Yeah, I told Emily I want to start working on bamboo again, and uh, she's like, "Ah, <laughs> that means there's going to be tools everywhere." And I go, "I know, but I'm, I like working on things with my hands. I work on computers all day, it's all, right? You know, data. You don't actually do anything with your hands." So. Oh, okay. No, I'm. Uh, we bought this stool. It's a short stool that sits at a, like a little makeup desk. Um, the top is great, the legs are great, but then those rails that go around the bottom uh-huh. are all made out of like this crappy press board. Oh, I'm so like broken. So yeah, so it came apart, and I'm like, well, if I just kind of make that out of like cherry or poplar, check these out. These are wrought iron, right there. Oh, very nice. Did I say that like a Whoa. southerner, a Texan? Wrought iron, wrought iron, wrought iron. <laughs> just like the cattle guard at the front of the proper tie. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we've gone off the rails here. <laughs> All right, dude. Well, cool, man. Let's uh, catch up with you again after you uh, get some running and uh, speed, a fast race under your under your feet. Yeah, will do, man. Yeah, I'm sure I'll hear from you again. <laughs> <laughs> I know where to find you. Yeah, cool, man. Talk All right. Later. All right. Bye bye. All right. Bye. All right. Super cool. Let's go ahead and get started with the training log. This is a real short one. I just recorded a few minutes of training stuff. I've been training usually uh, once or twice a day, an hour each time, sometimes longer on the weekends. I've been babying my foot, my feet, actually, because i got plantar fasciitis. I am happy to say I am on the rebound. It looks like it's starting to heal up, finally. I'm using this whopper of a massager that we got for a Christmas present one time that probably weighs 10 pounds. And setting it on high and just attacking the hell out of my calves, the tendons, the underside of my feet, the back of my knees, because that's all tendons back in there, and just shaking stuff apart. And listening to a Back to Work podcast, which is really good, they were talking about, they don't really, they didn't really know what they were talking about, but they were talking about plantar fasciitis and sleeping in a boot. And I learned something where uh, don't sleep on your face, because sleeping on your face, um, point your toes uh, away from your head, and then that crunches up your your uh, arches and and your calves, and then bam, uh, you wake up in the morning and your feet hurt instead of stretching them out. So sleep on your back or your side, and I've started doing that, and that also was uh, happened at the. I'm always trying all this different stuff, so I'm trying like four different things at once. So I don't know which one did it, but that's one of the other things that I'm doing. It seems to be getting better every day, and I'm super super excited. And uh, so that's where we are with that. And um, also, before the training log, I should mention uh, Hornet Juice. Hornet Juice is an amino acid uh, mix that you can add to your fuel. I used some today. It was fantastic. A two-hour ride on the trainer, just super even. Added in some, that was my goal, added in some Hornet Juice. And it fills you up, just gives you a ton of energy because it's an amino acid mix with protein, which turns on your fat burning. So it gives you a real, like, it feels like a diesel engine, how uh, just amazing you feel using this stuff. And uh, yeah, so you can get it on the right side of zentrathlon.com. There's a link for it and you can get a 10 pack, 20 pack. They've actually started offering more packs. I need to get that on there. And um, when you get that, you help support the show. 
And it's really, really cool stuff. And I get a lot of orders from that. Um, never a complaint that it didn't work. A lot of, holy crap, this stuff works. How can I get some more? And why can't you send it out faster? <laughs> I need it before my next race, is what people send me a lot. And that is proof that it works. I've been using it, oh my gosh, 10 something years. And boy, does it come out of the pantry whenever a workout gets serious. So you can try it too. Hornet juice, sting the competition. That's a slogan I made up for one. Uh, they're going to have to run with that. And yeah, that's it. So let's go ahead and get into the training log. It's real short. And then we'll wrap up the show. Here we go. You are entering the Zentrite training log zone. Kuneli. Hi, everybody. My name is Brett. I'm a triathlete. I decided it's time I got some friends more suited to my status. But Joe, we've been friends for years. Hey. We all make mistakes. Come on, dudes. Let's go exercise. Exercise. Yeah. I'm going to do sit-ups till I poop myself. All right, people. Let's talk about the uh, what is the meaning of life. It's not at all what you think it is. And you're going to love this because this is so cool and so easy to do because you're already doing it naturally. So when Kai was little... Um, I pointed out to him, well, he was like three years old. He was looking out the window of the car. We're driving along and he's like, daddy, the, uh, the light poles, or the power line poles or whatever we were looking at are, are always the same distance or whatever words he said, you know, three-year-old talk, four-year-old talk, maybe it was five. But anyway, the whole point is at a very young age, we start recognizing patterns and patterns are um, very cool because all all a pattern is is uh, it's where you start to see where you can start to predict the future. If and that's why we notice them because being able to predict the future is very handy. It's a survivor survive, survivability technique, and the better you are at it, the more likely you are to out-compete others, um, and the faster you notice these things, um, the more resources you'll have at your disposal and the more you'll um, avoid uh, catastrophe. And patterns are everywhere, you know. It's always winter, spring, summer, fall, and it's always, a you know, a full moon on a uh, progressively after, you know, the moon cycles through. And... Um, while you're running along at night, and if, if you know the light poles are spaced apart, then you know not to look at your watch and trip and fall and break your arm in the dark like I did. And because you don't need to, because there's a, a light coming up uh, in just a couple hundred feet anyway. So don't worry about it. And it just goes on and on and on. If this person acts this way and they're dressed this way, it's, it's kind of poor because it's a stereotype. Then maybe staying away from another person that acts that way and dresses that way and and is yelling these things is probably probably a good idea. <laughs> you catch bank robbers by patterns. You, you do everything by patterns. People act in patterns. The world acts in patterns. And it's really neat how um, we humans are pattern-noticing machines. And that's how we got to where we are today. And... Um, I've, I've known this 
maybe my dad taught me that. My dad's an engineer, and engineers are looking for patterns. You know, if a if a steel beam fails, you know, three of them fail coming out of this one factory. That's a pattern. <laughs> Don't buy steel beams from that from that factory. Uh, and it just goes on and on. And uh, my dad and I always talk philosophy and smart stuff growing up. And he, uh, well. Anyway, back to the thing. So I'm teaching Kai. Those are patterns. And the light poles are patterns. And um, that's why you find it interesting. It's patterns. The fence posts are patterns. Everything's a pattern. Now, of course, there is a lot in the world that is not a pattern. Right? But the thing is, is you barely notice it, if at all. It's there, but it's background noise. It's just white noise. And on that note, literally... The background noise, white noise that you hear uh, when a TV is um, doing that or a radio channel is doing that, that's literally no pattern. The, uh, that's the sound it makes when there is no pattern. It's either random or it's one. One repeating, well, one repeating tone would be, well, it may still have a waveform to it. It still might be a wave pattern. So sound is a wave pattern. And, oh man, you I mean, it just goes on and on. You can tell where somebody's from by the way that they talk in a pattern. You know, their, their Texas drawl or their Southern drawl, the way they always say this one thing. If something happens once, you kind of raise an eyebrow, then you kind of let it go. Happens two times, then you're like, okay, this might be a pattern. Then it happens three times, four times, five times. You're like, whoa, this is a pattern. And his pattern of behavior, right? And um, the things you notice usually are patterns, and the things you don't notice are noise. There's still things there, but they're not interesting because they're not useful. And the joy, there's a joy in being right. And um, when you argue, you're arguing to be right. And when you find a pattern and you're the first one to that conclusion, this is why people love conspiracy theories because they're trying to you're trying to find a pattern when there isn't one and you're trying to make one up. And when you hallucinate from various reasons, uh, even a um, especially what are those an isolation tank is a chamber where there's no incoming stimulus. And within just a few seconds to maybe a minute or two, your brain starts going into wild hallucinations because it's trying to make a pattern out of nothingness. That's how bad we want to see patterns because we're really successful at using them. Okay. So you see a pattern first before anybody else. You probably get a release of dopamine, endorphins, um, and makes you feel good. Uh, because again, that's, you're beating somebody else to the pattern. So you might get a resource before they do. This is hardwired into your evolutionary brain. And the, uh, sorry, I was looking at somebody and they were giving me a weird look, which isn't unusual, but I was listening, watching a, uh, YouTube video put on by uh, two world-renowned philosophers. It was put on by somebody else trying to get two world-renowned philosophers to argue, de- 
debate, and they said at the beginning they're not really debating each other because they they agree more on and then they disagree on um, what is the meaning of life, which seems to not even be an answerable question, right? And they they spend a good portion of their time saying, I mean, this is a ridiculous question because what is meaning? What is life? You know, and that's all kind of a personal input, a personal bias on how significant those things are. But then one of them said, and I'm going to post this video at 50 uh, minutes in, 50, maybe 51, 52 minutes in. It is uh, astounding. One of them says that you go back, all the way back to um, Taoism, which is spelled T-A-O, by the way. And it's, that's the Chinese yin and yang uh, era where that was all started. And it's kind of a predecessor to Zen. Uh, I think it, uh, Zen is a translation of the word Tao when it moved from China to Japan. Anyway. Um, but he said, the meaning of life, finding happiness, is pattern recognition. And that got me. I was not expecting that. That came out of left field. And I was like, holy crap, what? Hold on. <laughs> I went back and listened to this. And because finding pattern recognition from noise strikes a nerve with your primal, uh, your primal urges, and it makes you feel good. And then it, he got even deeper than that. The yin and yang can be... And some of this I interpreted myself and may have kind of added a little bit to this. But I'm a philosopher as well. Anybody can be a philosopher. It's not special. But um, the yin and yang is kind of, let's say the white is uh, order and the black is chaos, right? And you need the both. And the balance, the yin and yang is, is balance, but it's also really what it means is happiness, kind of balance and happiness, um, between the two. So you can't have, you can't have order. You can't find order unless there's noise, unless there's chaos and noise is just chaos. It's just randomness, right? Nobody likes randomness. Um, except, uh, well, like imagine, you know, you had to go to, into work at a random time every day and you didn't know until, uh, that day. I mean, you'd be pretty pissed off. <laughs> so that's chaos, right? And it's very stressful. But finding order, finding order in chaos is, uh, is what makes you feel good. So to find order, you need chaos, right? To feel good, you have to have a little bit of stress. And then finding that order is um, a way to find that order. The way to find that order is patterns. And once you know, once you realize a pattern, you, um, you can take advantage of it and make use out of the chaos. And now it's no longer chaos. But if there's too much order and everything's really predictable, then what happens? People get really bored. They start going into, uh, they want to entertain themselves with drugs and alcohol and, um, 
making drama to make their lives more interesting, you know? Um, I do uh, triathlons on the side because just going to work every day isn't very interesting. So you need like chaos and then you need to find order from the chaos. And you can see this in uh, triathlon itself. So like an Ironman is chaos. It's absolutely, you you have no idea what's coming next. You kind of got some idea, but it's really like you have no idea really what's going to happen that day. And you're really, really happy when you make order, right? When you complete the Ironman, especially if there's like little obstacles here or there that you overcome. And then it gets even, even crazier than this is when you are thrown against a wall uh, and the wall is randomness and uh, you have to make order out of it. Um, you yourself are randomness in your nature, you don't know your own abilities. You don't know what you're capable of. You don't understand um, your potential, right? You don't know what you're really made out of. And then when you throw yourself against something where it will sort out what you're really made out of, you'll discover your personality on mile 20 of an Ironman um, when uh, you're bonking and you feel like crap and then the aid station doesn't have your stuff that, you know, you wanted a uh, lemon lime Gatorade and all they have is uh, well, ice water. <laughs> and you're like, ah, and then your real personality starts to come out. And then you're like, whoa, that's really what I'm at down in my core. You know, when you strip everything away, you find out what you're made out of. And that is, um, that's, that's like the me- Basically, that's the meaning of life is finding order and chaos. And along the way, you find out a little bit about yourself. And it's in this video. It's really cool. And if you start thinking about it, this is everywhere. Um, There was a really good article I read the other day about Batman and the Joker and the movie, the Dark Knight movie, where it had... uh, Oh, God, Christian, uh, what's his name? Uh, The guy that played Joker fabulously, better than anybody else uh, a few years back. I can't believe I can't remember remember his name because it was unbelievably good. And the uh, article was about how to build the ultimate, um, it wasn't enemy, but how they made the Joker and and Batman and that Batman like the ultimate uh, nemesis. And basically, if you watch the movie, you read this article because they make they take clips out of the movie, and you can find this now. Um, the The whole point in that movie was the Joker to kill people, injure people, and put Batman up against a wall. And the Joker knows that Batman can't kill, and so the Joker is in a cell with Batman and Batman's punching him and all this other stuff. And the Joker's just laughing at him. He's like, you can't kill me. That's your, that's your flaw. And, and, and the whole point is, um, he put the, the directors or whatever, you know, not really the Joker, but they put Batman's character in a no win situation, just like an Iron Man, um, just like an ultra marathon. You can't win. (laughs) And then, because, and they literally put 
the Joker in there with him. And the Joker's like, kill me, kill me. You can't. Now what are you going to do? And that moment in the movie when you realize Batman can't win, now what are you going to do is where you go uh, deeper into the movie and it really drew the audience in. And in fact, every good movie, every good story, every good book um, does this where you... It creates a situation of chaos, and then you find the um, the uh, the hero of the story um, can't win against the current situation, so he or she has to change a little bit, and then when they come back to their original um, the original home or their original situation. They are a changed person, and they found out a little bit about themselves, something that's different. And, um, and so there's growth in them by uh, trying to find the, uh, themselves against this, uh, this chaos, right? And we love that. We absolutely love it because in chaos, we found something new that's useful, that's a new tool. And, I mean, you can think of uh, the Odyssey with, that Homer wrote. Uh, the Greek epic poem, um, Odysseus was thrust out into the into the sea and into the world and up against unwinnable situations and had to constantly dodge and weave and and uh, to finally come back and he came back such a different person that nobody recognized him. That's intentional. That's not uh, by accident. <laughs> That's to show that he had changed and. Um, so in this video, I just found it like absolutely amazing that um, uh, that they had referenced pattern recognition as the meaning of life. So back to the meaning of life, the meaning of life, something to be to be happy, but it's to find a, a space between is to put yourself in stress, a little bit of chaos. And then try to find a pattern out of it. And then um, you get these feelings of winning. And that is happiness. And that is uh, propagating your species. And that's, and that's uh, uh, the meaning of life. That's where you will find the ultimate happiness is, is the balance. And what's so funny is that that is Zen flow. Zen flow is the state of doing something that's just a little bit too challenging for you. And um, that way you're finding um, it, it entrances you because you're engaged, because you're trying to beat it. But what they never talk about in Zenflow and what I learned from this, uh, from this talk, like when you start putting the pieces together, when you start finding a pattern, uh-huh, which gets me all excited, I want to talk about it, is that Zenflow creates growth. It is the indicator of growth and improvement and of figuring out a pattern. And that's why Zen Flow is so entrancing. That's why uh, we're going to talk about, if I, if I put it before or after this, um, it's really important. We're going to talk about uh, bilateral, bilateral breathing, um, and, and it's a pattern. 
And is it su- successful? So you start, it's chaotic at first, and then you start finding that it actually uh, works. And then you're like, whoa, this is a new pattern. Am I the, am I the first one here, you know, uh, to figure this out? And, and to start telling people, it's really exciting because you, you're the first to climb that mountain. And when you're at the top, you can see all around and see things that people haven't seen before. Maybe take advantage of the situation and do something with it. And um, a good visualization is a, um, is a hawk and other birds of prey like that. What they like to do, it's called an edge edge community or an edge species uh, I took a lot of environmental stuff and wildlife and all that in college and uh, there's a whole area on this it's really cool the a really wonderful place for a creature to um, to live is on the edge of a forest so let's say the forest is chaos and the um, the grassy field next to the forest is um, is clarity. It's a pattern. It's since you know the trees kind of random. They're all over the place. You can't really see. Um, you can't walk in a straight line. You can't see more than uh, 20 feet because there's another tree. We're talking about you know a forest. It could be darker, right? While a field is actually um, open, everything's clear. Makes sense. You can you can see forever. It's really great. And what a hawk does. Uh, is it sits on the branches on the edge, up in a tree, but on the edge of the forest where it's kind of protected. It's a little bit safe up in there. And it watches the field. And the mouse can't see the hawk in the trees because the hawk is mixed. It's kind of blended in with the trees a little bit. But the hawk can see out into the into the field. And when it sees a... Uh, it sees a pattern, a little brown thing moving, and then it moves, and it moves. It moves three times, and it goes, that's a mouse. And then it zooms down, grabs a mouse, succeeds, and eats, and is uh, uh, happy, uh, winning uh, creature. And um, the, the open field and the forest side by side is what makes that happen. And then it goes back to the middle again. Right, it gets out of the field because that's a dangerous place to be. It gets, it doesn't want to stay deep in the forest because that's a dangerous place to be. It wants to stay on the edge because in the edge it can also escape the chaos and get out into the openness when it needs to. And you can visualize in your mind that that's also like the yin yang um, symbol is chaos, and then the dividing line is the edge of the forest. Let's say the dark side is. Um, is uh, oh, that's a good Star Wars reference. The dark side is chaos, and the white is uh, is the open field, is light and order, and that's how you can visualize it in your mind. And apparently, that is the meaning of life, and it's super cool. So go out there and recognize some patterns. All right, I got to go. Got things to do. Got to lean into things and find some patterns and enjoy the rest of my day. All right, out. All right, back to the training log, leaving the pool. Man, interesting, interesting stuff. Uh, doing the bilateral swimming again, uh, 40, 4,250 yards in an hour flat. And um, man, uh, one of the most interesting things is regardless of whether it's, um, uh, you know, faster, slower, or uh, less oxygen and all that stuff, which I'll get to in a minute. 
it's uh, definitely, um, oh man, we got some heavy, heavy fog, I can't see, it's uh, definitely uh, more entertaining, and then to settle in with kind of a deep rolling breathing, and you're, you're conscious of it uh, for a little while, and then you're, um, let me adjust the wipers here. And then after a while, you just kind of forget about it, and it's just what you're doing. And the fact that it's as fast as as uh, an easy, as a moderate pace, um, single-sided, is just really fascinating. It made me think, but well, feels like a yoga session, just deep stretching and breathing and relaxing, and it's allowing you to work on um, keeping straight. And um, it's just wonderful. Act so therapeutic. Uh, settling into something. It feels like you're doing a downward dog for like an hour. <laughs> it's absolutely amazing. And uh, it makes me think about uh, Will, I guess it's William Hoff or Will Hoff. He's a, he's a little bit of an older guy, but he's big in the breathing techniques and about how much you can, how much more you can do because you're not, um, because most people aren't breathing right. Almost all people aren't breathing right. And um, how, uh, calming your breathing can allow can allow you to do more. And one of the analogies I thought of is um, when you want to swim across a pool underwater. Let's say across and back. Um, if you've ever done this um, a bunch, you learn quickly that actually the way to go the farthest um, is to is to not try all that hard. It's actually to calm down your breathing and don't pull very hard. You actually uh, pull gently and glide, and then um, you don't run out of oxygen anywhere near as fast because you're not using oxygen as much, and uh, so you're just way more efficient per stroke, I guess. Uh, per I guess per time, you're um, using a lot less oxygen. And the way to test it is go underwater, you know, push off the wall and try to swim to the other side, and do underwater breaststroke as hard as you can, you know, pull, 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 try to get to the other side, you'll notice that you quickly run out of oxygen because all that muscular stress um, activity is burning through the oxygen in your blood supply, and then you run out. But if you push off underwater and then glide and then take a pull, glide and take a kick, glide and then take a pull and then glide like that, your burn rate of oxygen is far lower and like I was saying with Dirksen, is there's an overlap of where um, low oxygen burn rate is actually faster than uh, your speed is actually faster with low oxygen burn rate because of the uh, efficiency because of the drag reduction than um, high oxygen burn rate and pulling really hard. And in that overlap area is uh, zone two. <laughs> zone one, zone two. And uh, it's, it's uh, really amazing, the difference. I was really, really enjoying uh, that swim. And today was the... Um, the first day that I didn't use even you can, and 
I, uh, I got up and I had a, a small bowl of hemp cereal, which is carby, but I had it with coconut milk. And then um, I'd gotten to the point where to swim like I've been swimming, I would need to stop and take sips on Gatorade and, you know, sugary stuff. And uh, today I was kind of like, uh, I had that coconut milk and some hemp cereal at around 5 a.m. And then um, I'm leaving to go to the pool at, let's see, 540, 540, 545. And I'm thinking, um, do I need, I'm about to, ready to take my UCAN. And I'm like, I don't want to. I'm kind of full. I don't need to. So then I'm uh, swimming along, but I didn't take the I didn't take any fuel with me, and I'm swimming along and I'm having a great swim. And of course, when I finished, I had a uh, I'm eating it right now, half of an Amrita bar. I'll eat the other half after I get out of the car. And I was uh, just like, wow, holy crap! I'm swimming super aerobically efficient, relaxed. Um, not needing any uh, sugary stuff, so I'm not pouring sugar all over my teeth, and it's a challenge, it's fun, um, I guess you get a dopamine kind of release, and some kind of endorphin release from the challenge of doing something different, and uh, all, yeah, all without uh, fueling or needing any extra fuel, you're fueling, because I had a little bit of breakfast, but not needing extra fuel to keep going, which uh, is really, really cool. So uh, what that leads me to the next thing is talking about flow. So I found a really cool way to achieve Zen flow. It's really neat. Is um, mountain biking with uh, Kai and Emily yesterday. We went about an hour and a half. And I've done the same route. And actually, it takes me um, maybe an hour if I go by myself at my own pace. But because going with Kai and Emily, Emily's on a totally rigid bike. I'm on a full suspension, not full, I'm on a front suspension uh, 29er. Emily's on an old Raleigh. And uh, Kai is on a front suspension bike, but, you know, it's Kai, so he's not, you know, crazy fast or anything. And I found, so I needed to slow down so that we have a nice time together, family time. And I found that um, staying in just slightly too big of a gear and trying not to use the brakes very much uh, uh, mountain biking is up and down and side to side. So it's a constant challenge of surging, surging, surging to get over lumps and twists because you're constantly decelerating. And I found that if you stay in uh, just slightly too big of a gear, then you tend to want to use your momentum and gentle pressure to uh, you know, regain speed or keep your speed. And the challenge of that is really fun. And about halfway through the mountain bike ride, I was like, this is just, wow, this is amazing. And when we finished, um, oh, and also trying to keep pedaling, just tried to not stop pedaling um, with very gentle pressure on the pedals and kind of like you're riding a fixie. And it was just amazing. When we finished, I felt just like the state of like bliss that that was really neat and that was yesterday morning and all day all evening all night still today 
I've been wanting to go back and do just that. I've been wanting to get on my mountain bike and just ride around my neighborhood and pedal like that. Like the super gentle pressure. Um, always a little bit of pressure leaning leaning forward. Kind of like the whole lean. Hello, I'm back. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, got a call from Emily. And the uh, just the, the, the state of Zen flow and the addictiveness of that leaning into it. So I found myself... Uh, I was running errands in town uh, yesterday afternoon, Sunday afternoon, and I found myself wanting to drive like that, just a gentle push and a glide and just kind of leaning into everything and gently going around corners but without letting up on the pressure. And, uh, and then I found myself wanting to just do everything all day like that, like uh, you know, doing your tasks and your errands and your whatever is just slightly leaning forward into it and... Um, just gentle pressure moving forward and, um, you know, leaning into the resistance gently. Uh, and that's like a way to go through life or at least a day and then take a break and then do it for a day and then take a break, um, of, uh, and then like you get way more done because you're leaning into it, but also you're in a trance kind of Zen flow state because it's a bit of a challenge and it's fun. And uh, so that's it. All right, I got to get into W to the ERK. Out. All right, thank you everybody for tuning in for this latest episode. It's been a lot of fun. I know the show was a long time in the making, and uh, that's because just a lot of stuff going on, like I said, and actually not much racing while I uh, let my feet heal up. It's kind of, in a weird way, it's depressing uh, being injured because you want to work out, but you can't, so then you don't know what to do with yourself. So it's like, why even try, you know, and finding the energy to do what you used to do is a little bit tough, but I stuck through it and I got that show out. And also you just got to, man, the Zen of everything is, is don't believe in your feelings. Just keep sticking to what you know works and things, it too, things will pass as saying is it too, this too shall pass. And it did. And uh, my feet are getting better. And I foresee in the near future signing up for something. Everybody keeps asking me, what's your next race? There are no races that I'm signing up for until my feet are healed. Not even a 5K. Nothing. And that's because I've learned about myself. I will injure myself training for something uh, if it's on the schedule. And I need to uh, have nothing on the schedule. And that way I can allow myself to uh, heal. But the thing we do have... Oh, but my whole point is... is I foresee in the very near future me being healed up enough where we can start uh, planning on the next race very soon. And what will that be? I don't know. I don't know, man. I miss ultra running. I don't know if I'm going to be in time to do the uh, Rocky Raccoon this year. That would be, uh, yeah, that might be out of my wheelhouse right now. But that's a 50-mile trail run. But, um, man, I go out and run. I have a blast when I do run. I just have to run really easy and no hills right this moment. But... Let's see. Oh, next podcast, we already have recorded an interview with Cecilia. Let's see. We're Cecilia Davis Hayes. Let me make sure I got her name right. Where'd it go? Oh, my God. Let me type it in because I know it's in here. How did that go away? Cecilia. Cecilia Davis Hayes. Cecilia Davis Hayes won the um, the Austin 70.3. No, she didn't win it. She got second, but as an age grouper. And um, she announced during the recording that uh, she's going to go pro. So we'll find out for sure if she actually uh, is going to go that way next uh, next year. 
And um, it's a really cool interview. She's a PhD student and at Columbia and um, has a lot, balancing a lot of different stuff, lives in New York City, you know, and um, has just an amazing talent for endurance stuff uh, as a former pro cyclist. And how do you balance all that and get work done? And you got to let some things go. So how do you pick which one's the most important? And we talk about all that stuff. It's a really good interview. I'm very excited about getting that out there. All right, that's it. Everybody stay safe out there. Work the uphills, cruise the downhills, and keep the rubber side down out. basically went out of business two different times. Mm-hmm. They cannot run a freaking motorcycle company to save their lives. I don't know why. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's not like it's a complicated motorcycle. It's like a freaking basic. Is it? I don't know. No, it's just a freaking, it's nothing. It's just a freaking, it's the simplest motorcycle that exists. So how could you run, ruin, how could you not run it as a business? It's. I, I don't know. But yeah. they did a bad job and they went out of business. They've had multiple owners. So, so Polaris bought Indian the brand. That's right. Polaris is, yeah, they know their shit. And Polaris, yeah. you know, they have Victory and they've got all, of course, the ATVs and the snowmobiles. snowmobiles. Yeah. So they really, they took the design of, they, they kind of, I feel like they captured the spirit of the Indian chief cruiser. But they did it with all this new technology and a great motor, a great engine. And, uh, yeah, so it's like a red mm-hmm. with tan leather yeah. saddlebags with That's... the fringe, the leather fringe. You got fringe now? Oh, shit, yeah. You've lost it. <laughs> do you have a whip? Uh, I... Do you have the, do you have the freaking whip, the chain whip <laughs> thing they keep? No, no, I don't have that. Oh, okay. Do I need that? Well, that's a thing I, that it's a uh, they, to hit a car that gets too close to you. They, oh, really? Yeah, I've seen it on some motorcycles. Like dudes <laughs> that ride around with ape hangers and Harley gangs. They have kind of like this whip uh, thing, and you're like, "What the fuck is that?" And they're like, it's "Every a guy I've, whip." Every yeah. other time I've seen an Indian motorcycle, the person riding it is a male who's over seventy. Mm, yeah. Well, okay. So, how big is the engine? What what CC is it? It's a sixteen hundred CC. It's a well, it's probably a heavy bike, so it's got to have a big engine on it. Very, yeah, it's like eight hundred. It's like eight hundred and fifty pound bike. Is it a? It's a. You said it's a V twin. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know exactly what that means. The, don't ask. The pistons go like that in a V. Yes, you can have mm-hmm. a parallel twin. It's I'm a V twin. I think a parallel twin is kind of a shitty. It kind of it's <clears throat> bouncy. A V twin is like that, and longitudinal V twin means that the pistons point towards the rear and front wheels, kind of. That's what it is. And then you'll notice a BMW has the twins a oppositional twin, uh, a twin piston. Yeah, that was my last bike. Out. Mm-hmm. And um, I had a Honda one time that had a V twin, but sideways, a lateral. Uh, anyway, a V twin where if you gave it gas, it would torque the bike to the side, which is actually kind of fun. Is it a chain drive or a shaft drive? Uh, belt, I think. Oh, belt. Okay. Yeah. 
That's yeah. really low maintenance. Shaft drive is too. A belt, uh-huh. lighter weight, low maintenance. I know nothing about mechanics or the part. I just saw the bike and like mm-hmm. that looks amazing. You'll and learn I rode a lot. It. I rented one for a weekend in Colorado and uh, went for a ride. And you know, ten years ago, I had a BMW, mm-hmm. a K12 RS. It Shaft. was a yeah. yeah, it was a that was a 1200cc. That was a horizontal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a horizontal. horizontal. Yeah, Subarus are the same way. And I, I rode that across the country. Dude, I love riding motorcycles. I just love it. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Don't you think? Yeah, totally. Uh, what do you think is more dangerous, riding a bicycle or riding a motorcycle? I think riding a motorcycle is more dangerous. dangerous. What makes you say that? Um, I sold my – I had a Honda VFR, which is a V4, mm-hmm. uh, 750 V4. I sold that uh, – for cash to buy a bike because I got into riding road bikes and was um, covering as much distance on my road bike on the weekend as I was riding on my motorcycle. <laughs> because I yeah. spend way more time on the bike, on the bicycle, but you're, it's, it's as dangerous, but you're gaining in health. And motorcycle, you're not gaining in health, and it's just as dangerous riding a bicycle. So you might as well ride a True. bicycle and at least get a workout out of it. Yeah, I look at like, when I go out on my motorcycle, I've got, Kevlar jeans. I've got a jacket that is fully armored out. I've got a full face helmet. You know, that helmet is mm-hmm. substantial. And no Ford F-350 diesel is going to buzz me on my motorcycle. Now, intersections are a problem, right? Intersections is where you're going to run into issues. Problem. People can't see you, and you're traveling at a higher speed, so but you are also kind of a little bit protected. With a bike, you're out there basically with like, let's face it, a bicycle helmet is nothing. Mm-hmm. It's horseshit. Yeah. It's a cooler you should keep a six-pack in, maybe. Same amount of, star- <laughs> same amount of styrofoam. Right. Less. Just a little tiny piece of styrofoam on yeah. the top of your head like a beanie. Mm-hmm. It does nothing <laughs> for your chin, your nose, your face, mm-hmm. nothing. Uh, and you're wearing basically spandex with no armor, and you're not – you're traveling so much slower than traffic. They're constantly passing you and buzzing you. I don't know. I mean, would love to statistically see if somebody would ever dig in to see what is actually more dangerous. Because I was kind of interesting. Aaron Webster, of all people, when I got my motorcycle, was horrified. And as sweet a person as he is, got the whole Canadian thing going on. He was like being very judgy. And this is one-on-one. This is not for public benefit or to break balls. He was like being very judgmental, like, how could you even do that? You're a father. Like, kind of like almost a how dare you? Like, how mm-hmm. could you do that? It's like, what? that is so dangerous. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, it like is. Like it was made out of puppy blood or something. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, there is some risk to it. I get it. But I don't know that it's that much more risky than going out for a 60-mile bike ride on Sunday morning. If you're going out for a two-hour motorcycle ride on Sunday morning or you're going out for a two-hour bicycle ride on Sunday morning, which one's more dangerous? I don't know that we know. My big problem was intersections. That's where I found myself slowing down to the point I was holding up traffic behind me because I was worried about getting hit. Uh, I do that. Some dumbass going through an intersection, a crossing, you know, and then um, and a Honda VFR is like a race bike, you know. So I'm on that thing on a bike that can outpace is zero to 60 in two seconds 
you know, top mm-hmm. speed of 180 miles an hour. And I got a Ford Escort behind me <laughs> honking his horn going, come on, dude. You know, and I'm like, well, if somebody pulls out in front of me at this intersection, I'm freaking mincemeat. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I don't know either. On. Well, that's, that's a cool bike. Man. Yeah. I'll write it down. Oh yeah. Yeah. All right. Sweet. I still got my license, man. I'll take it for a spin. There you go. Well, you can, you can ride my bike, Brett. Can I be on the back of it, holding your stomach? Yeah, we can Photoshop. Can we ride around on the motorcycle, each of us shirtless, <laughs> gripping each other? Um, I'm trying to think of something to add on to that. I think you've covered it. I feel like I'm a, not a very good guest. So far, all I did was talk about Sutton, blowjobs, Trump, Clinton, and now motorcycles. All things none of your audience cares about. Uh, maybe. But it's time for one of those shows. <laughs> well, dude, I got to go put my yeah, clothes okay. in the dryer. All right. Uh, good hang, brother. Thank you. All right, dude. I'll talk to you later. Because I was trying to record. The moment I try to record in this house, Kona starts barking. Kai comes in and starts banging around in there, flushing. Okay. What? I haven't put out a podcast forever because I can't find a freaking place to record anymore. Yes.